Welcome everyone to April 30th, 1988 in the Legacy Series. It is Saturday night's main event with Randy Savage as heavyweight champion and Hulk Hogan somewhere else. Sitting before me is uh, notes for the intro that I wrote at 3.30 in the morning when I woke up for like five minutes and went back to bed. I don't know if I can read them. I don't know if I can understand them. But what I can tell you is we are at a crossroads. We are at the beginning of a new era. Cast upon Randy Savage is the responsibility of being the heavyweight champion, the babyface heavyweight champion after the four-year title reign of Hulk Hogan that changed everything. Task on Randy Savage is to be the world champion in the storyline with Hulk Hogan, who is simply replacing Andre the Giant. There is a lot on the shoulders of Macho Man Randy Savage. I believe in the show that we're going to watch, at least from what I saw, we saw a better Randy Savage than WrestleMania 4. We saw him dominate some. We saw him in his element some. We also saw the man, Randy Savage, trying to figure out catchphrases and ideas because Hulk Hogan, we said, has had a messiah-like, a savior-like relationship that he's created with the Hulkamaniacs, with the fan base, with the idea of WWF that is simply hard to come after. I found myself looking back um, at scriptural ideas somewhere in that 3.30 a.m. time Thinking about John the Baptist, who was the forerunner for Jesus Christ, who declared him and then a few chapters later finds himself in prison and asks his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? In my opinion, Randy Savage has a similar but different moment and mentality right now is almost more complicated because he has seen Hulk Hogan at his best. He has seen Hulk Hogan as world champion and now he stands in that gap while Hulk Hogan goes to Hollywood. Does Hulk Hogan come back? Does he not come back? The Randy Savage question is, are you the one or should they look for another in me? It's a different question. And I in my fandom, in my past, in my childhood, I've always believed that WWF knew Hulk Hogan would be world champion again. It was the plan for WrestleMania 5. I've always believed that Hulk Hogan always leaves a trail back to the world title as the ultimate warrior and so many more to come. But what I'm starting to see in this early part of this legacy series is there is a difference between Macho Man, who is the space element, and Randy Savage, who sometimes is a trembling man on the earth with insecurity. And so the question I'm starting to formulate, I know the WWF is pro-Hogan. I know Hogan is pro-Hogan. But is there a part of Randy Savage who is going to be conspiring directly or indirectly in his own fall? If we go back to WrestleMania 4, it is not Vince McMahon. It is not Hulk Hogan. It is Randy Savage who says Hulk Hogan was cheated, not defeated. In other words, the very man who will win the tournament to become the world champion who follows Hulk Hogan was already on the record saying whoever wins this tournament isn't altogether the champion unless they address the Hulk Hogan factor. We are in one of the great stories 
ever told. It's a year long. It's in place. All parties are already considering it, even as we are about to have Hulk Hogan's absence in a macho man show without him. I just find it. Uh, I find it to be the kind of story that I like because we're seeing Savage try to grow into this rather than just being anointed. Can you imagine listener at home stepping into a role that at six foot one, if you were to be as good as Andre the Giant? Yeah, good luck on that. But if you could somehow be as good as Andre the Giant, all that would mean is you wouldn't get the best of Hogan and he wouldn't get the best of you. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about as we enter this era. It was always inevitable that the mega powers would explode. Everybody knows that. But what will the storyline be like in real time as we go back and watch it? That's what we are entering in. The last thing I will leave you with before we jump into the show is I am starting to see and believe that if Macho Madness is a motion that just is and it's magic, Randy Savage is sometimes a shakiness into turbulence. If Macho Madness simply is, without the need for defense or justification, Randy Savage is a builder of fence and defense to protect things that don't even need protection. In other words, there's a great space element of Macho Madness, but there's a trembling earth uh, element of Randy Savage, and that great space sometimes creates sustained, wonderful fire, and that trembling earth sometimes creates a raging, unstable fire. Fans, that is what we got. We are in the hands of Macho Madness and Randy Savage, and we're going to get what we get. The times are changing. They're moving. The Legacy Series is here to cover it. Grab your shovels because the unearthing continues. Ladies and gentlemen, I am the mystic, and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Ms. Fan, The Brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Thank you for that great intro, as always, Lord Mystic PhD. Um, I'd like to thank everybody, first off, for listening. Uh, if you've been following me here, there, on the forums, or wherever, you know that uh, my relationship with wrestling is a little bit rocky right now, uh, after everything that has happened in the past uh, week or two. But I am very excited to continue with WWF The Legacy Series. I believe in holding on to uh, the positive connections, to the things you have, to the things that make you happy. This show definitely does that. And uh, this episode, I think, (laughs) is going to be both a great example of that and also a um, confusing example of that. Because we are going to talk about a lot of people that we are not too fond of on the show. But we're also going to talk about some great stuff, some great topics that we have come up with. Uh, that listeners have suggested we're going to talk about the reign of Randy Savage, which is in full swing here, and I agree, looks a lot better, a lot shinier than it did at WrestleMania. We're going to talk about the continuing story of Ted DiBiase. We're going to be talking about Demolition, which I am excited about. Coco Beware. We're going to be covering a special match with uh, Butch Reed and Don Morocco, two very underrated guys who get a chance to show what they can do. It's going to be a lot of very good stuff on this show, both uh, within the ring and outside it, out in that metaphysical space that we love to go into. It's going to be great. I'm excited for this episode. 
I am also excited for this episode. Um, I am appreciative that despite uh, the hardships that you are facing right now with your fandom, which are understandable, that somehow the Legacy series continues to be part of what you're going to do. So as I said to you the other day, you know, as long as that's positive for you, I want to keep on doing it because I do believe that this is a space that can uh, regenerate, that can help, because I know for myself, like I have weeks where my mentality is nothing but negative, fearful, uncertain, all kinds of things when I look out into this world that we're in right now. And then comes Saturday morning, and Saturday morning is something a little bit different. Yeah, no shortage of things in or out of wrestling to feel very bad about right now, but uh, Dodo, if the Legacy Series is not one of them, it is always a highlight. I hope it is for you all out there as well as you listen along. Yeah, as we, as we jump into this, uh, Ms. Van also pointed out to me, I am not on Twitter, so Ms. Van pointed out, one of the commentaries on Twitter is also rightfully, I think, wanting to know more about the water element, who is the water of the water element, so I just want to put that out there. And I'll say a couple of words about it because my answer in short is I'm not, I'm not sure uh, whether it's figuring out some gimmicks that seem to have that or actual people in history. Some of the people I've guessed at because maybe some of the, our listeners will find some people when we don't. But like Chris Jericho, to me, has always been water element because he's reinvented himself a hundred times. And not only that, it seems like it's easy and fun for him to do it. I think Booker T might have some water element because. This is a guy who's an amazing tag wrestler, but then TV title, U.S. title, world title. Then somehow one of the very few guys that can go to WWF and not get fired and somehow keep on and keep on and keep on. Reinvent himself, uh, do stuff in Texas with another promotion. Always seem to kind of just get along and be there. Mick Foley is another guy that comes to mind with his three gimmicks, with his ability to kind of move around and adjust to new eras and new times. So I just throw those names out. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. I can think about other elements they might possess. But the water element, uh, it can move around. It can adjust. It can do those things with ease. Um, it's not necessarily bogged down. Uh, so those are some elements. We might bring in some other ideas as we go on. But I'm just kind of throwing that out there because maybe somebody else will pick up on some stuff that we haven't. It was a great topic. I'm glad uh, somebody brought it up to me on Twitter. Uh, somebody I, I have not heard before. Uh, not necessarily a new listener, but I'm glad uh, somebody who is reaching out. Um, I was glad to interact there. Uh, I haven't had much chance to look at the thread on LP Forums, which is a great disservice to folks like Prof and BK. I'm sorry about that. I know there's some great comments in there that have gone unanswered at the time of this recording, so I am going to try to get in there. But uh, as far as the water element goes, we've talked a lot about fire, um, we've talked a lot about earth, and we've talked uh, even about space quite a bit in this uh, series so far. And those are the elements, I think, which do a lot to define this era, and they're kind of elements which are easier to understand and identify. I struggle a little more with air and water, because uh, they are harder to identify. They're harder to kind of wrap your head around sometimes. But uh, I was thinking about this, and I think actually there is a strong element of water in this era. Uh, I'll ask you, and I'll see if you agree. What element could all of these great managers be except water? Bobby Heenan, Slick, even uh, Jimmy Hart. Right. To me, these guys are definitely water because... You can't strike them. You can't hold them back. You can't uh, 
move them in the way you want them to be moved. They are so versatile. They will move to a new client, to a new plan in a moment's notice. And I'm guessing from your clapping that you agree. So that, I think, is the water element within this series. Yeah, oh, my God. Ms. Van the Brain earning his name <laughs> on this. That is, oh, that's so beautiful. Because we, not only is that, it just hits true even initially in hearing it. But then I think about commentary from Bobby Heenan on this show that we'll get to where he says, uh, that, you know, Elizabeth always goes to the back and gets Hulk Hogan. Slick should get the one man gang and then, uh, there's pushback and then he says, or he could borrow a couple of my wrestlers. I've done deals with them before. They always work out fine. And like my mind is just thinking, not only do these managers, like, imagine being a manager that can work with Andre the Giant, but you can work with Hercules. You can work across uh, the aisle. You can work with one-man gang, but you can work with this person. That by itself suggests there's a water element. But then, on top of that, you can work with managers who ought to be competition, trade wrestlers back and forth, make deals, still get along. So, yes, there's so much to that. And even I'm thinking right now there might be some water element to even the Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon relationship on top of that. So, so much good stuff, and yeah, that's that's a gr- good place to start right there because something about water is how it moves and maneuvers, and that's what Miss Van is talking about right here. Yeah, absolutely. So I was I was um, almost going to sleep when I thought of that, and that's when the good thoughts come sometimes. Yeah, so. that's, that's fantastic, <laughs> uh, and that's it's a great era of managers, and we might have hit on part of the reason why. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the only other water I can think of in this era, as we said, Hulk Hogan is kind of a chameleon who um, yeah. represents every element at times, and uh, he can be very water-like as well, as we will see increasingly as we go along. I wonder, now I'm thinking about all the wrestlers I'd never want to think about. I don't know what elements they are. It's like, what is Danny Davis? What is Bruce Beefcake? What is Honky Tonk Man? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And so, but also, collectively almost, the WWF brand that wasn't Hulk Hogan. Because you're going you're gonna to find out in time that every one of them thought they should be the world champion for like four years during this era. <laughs> so whether they were water element, the whole body of the WWF kind of had to move as water, whether it was or not, at the behest of the man in the front of the line that was kind of, you know, moving the brand along. Yeah, it's true. Surely Jim Duggan is a rock. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he can't be moved for anything. Even Andre can't move Jim Duggan out of. Yeah. Andre has moved uh, Savage and Hogan and all the great names of our sport out of their zone. They have to adapt to him. Jim Duggan doesn't have to adapt to anything. Jim Duggan's element is a splinter of a two by four. <laughs> <laughs> it just sits there and it won't come out. I don't know, though, but I like that. So Bobby Heenan, of all of them, because not only is Bobby Heenan, like, as a manager, like I said, this, like, the water element is present in how he manages and who he manages. The water element might be present in the announcing with Gorilla Monsoon because it's such improv. It's such flowing together. There's no kind of restrictiveness to it. But then Bobby Heenan as a body and a bumper and mover I don't know if it's this week or not. I think it is. He gets chased across the ring, and then he just, like, flat-footed, jumps over the top rope, clears the whole, like, thing, falls on the floor. And, and even Jimmy Hart, Bobby Heenan, their motions, their bodily motions kind of reflect that water element. Yeah, no, absolutely so. I think uh, what else could the managers be in this time? I think uh, it's very apt. 
It is, and it's it's so good though because it's not. It doesn't have to be like I think about Harley Race when he was a manager. I don't feel like he was a water element. You know, <laughs> I don't think Harley Race could be anything besides a rock if he wanted to be. But uh, so that doesn't. Yeah, you know, that means you don't have to be. Right. But but in this era, I think you really are, and like we're about to get into uh, some stuff where Bobby Heenan is really talking about the family in a way that I think will point to that as well. But you know, first I'd like to hear some stuff on. Why we're getting Reed in Morocco as our bonus this week. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to talk about that. I do want to say also, um, I'm excited to get to Sherry uh, because you talk about elements. And mm. there's got to be an element of water in a manager, I think. But surely, primarily, she's fire. So you yeah. have fire and water together. It's a dangerous combination. It absolutely is. And I think uh, it'll be fun to look at that in Sherry. When is that fire or the water? When is it performative and when is it genuine? Because mm. like any good manager, or any good performer, she can play the role she needs to play. Uh, she will eventually. Uh, well, anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it as it comes. But yes, that's exciting to think yeah. about. I love Sherry. I can't wait to talk about her more. Um, but yeah, Butch Reed versus Don Morocco. Uh, I try to pick a match that is um, kind of in close proximity to the show that we're going to do. And, uh, this Saturday night's main event comes only like a bit over a month after WrestleMania. Uh, so it was kind of a small period to pick from. So, uh, I wouldn't call this match like a hidden blockbuster or anything like that, but, uh, it is Butch Reed versus Don Morocco. It's on the April 11 episode of, uh, WWF primetime, which is on the network. And I picked it, uh, I didn't even know, like, I do, I keep some records about the matches I watch. I, I watched this a, quite a long time ago, and um, the the rating I put next to it was, uh, it, it was fairly high. It was more than you would think from, like, a throwaway match. So, I'm like, this is two underrated guys. I'm going to dig this match back up, and I'm going to check it out. And uh, this match, I think, over-delivered for me, because not only do you get a much better look, at Butch Reed and Don Morocco than you would, say, at WrestleMania 4. You also get so much bonus stuff. We have Butch Reed cutting a blistering promo on Billy Graham when the match starts. We have Alfred Hayes and Bobby Heenan as a twosome on commentary, which is very rare, and they have a very, very unique dynamic that goes back to AWA and goes places that no other combination would go to. It's a duo where Bobby Heenan is very emboldened and does not believe that uh, the person next to him is going to rein him in at all, and he is right about that. Um, And it's just a match. It brings a lot of stuff. It's a showcase for Slick. It's a showcase for both guys in the match, for commentary, um, this match really over-delivered from when I picked it, and I'm very glad that we dug it up. Mm, yeah. I, I will uh, second a, a great many of those comments. I do want to say before we jump into it that uh, going into it, Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan are at the desk, and there is a piece of a 2x4 with Giant Killer <laughs> written on it because Hacksaw has assaulted Andre the Giant with a 2x4, which we will get to uh, later in the show. But Girl Monsoon is threatening Bobby Heenan with it uh, throughout the show. And at the beginning, you know, he threatens, I think maybe the first time he threatens him with it, Bobby Heenan simply says, um, what are you going to do, knock me out cold? And what would you do, stammer through the rest of the show for two hours? <laughs> <laughs> the boldness of the brain. Yeah. You have to appreciate it. Oh, man. 
Gorilla Matsud, he can't only be water. There, I don't know what element it is where you oh, have no. to torture your um, your your companion, who you actually like at times so mercilessly. I don't know what element that is, but Gorilla Monsoon has that for sure. I don't know what Gorilla is because it, I need to He's watch him more. Yeah. But I do know that I had forgotten until I heard him on that one show that he was on recently that – He's always talking about facts, just like Jesse Ventura, but seven out of ten times his facts that are right in front of him are not even correct. <laughs> so, and you know. yet, and yet, no one will speak them with more confidence. So, yeah. it was I think in the Battle Royal at WrestleMania four. Uh, number one time he's like, oh, there's so many people. This this number of people left, and I think he was like three or four numbers off. And then another time they were arguing. Jesse was like, I think it was uh, George Steele. Jesse's like. He ne- he's never been in the ring, and uh, the girl's like, oh, he was in the ring, and he got eliminated, and I don't think any of that ever even happened, so he's a tough one to call, because there's something there's something slippery, there's something playful, there's something, like, I know what we get from Gorilla Monsoon, but I, always, I don't know if that's always exactly who or what he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's an interesting guy, for sure. But I do think that the water is kind of in the relational. Like, I, I think water people, this is, I'm not good at this, but if you're water, I think, too, you can be good at improv. You can be good at just taking life as it comes. You're not stuck in one idea, one thing. You flow, like, with life, with the day, with the ups and downs. And so, you know, that's an element that sometimes is harder, I think, too, because it's, like, fire is so, oh, that's prominently fire. Earth is that's prominently earth, but... Water, you have to almost watch for it not being prominently other things as well. So, mm. very good, good point. Okay, so yeah, that Butch Reed promo is is so good, and eventually he says it uh, of Graham and Morocco, it is a fool led by a fool. <laughs> it is awesome. I had actually forgot that yeah, Butch Reed was the one they um kind of hung on that uh, he put Billy Graham out. He took his comeback. Mm away from him, and I was very glad to revisit that, because uh, Butchery gets very little attention, to be honest, in this era, from the shows we are watching. Uh, he has not really been featured one time, and I think that is a disservice to Butch Reed, because uh, the way he's cutting into Billy Graham here, telling him he should have never even tried to come back, it's mm. great. Like, I could have I watched a lot more of this Butch Reed. Yeah, it frustrates me sometimes when I see wrestlers who I think if you just go with what they have, you could have done a lot more with them and read that tone. The the blistering is the right word. Like there's something there that could just be utilized so much better. I'm glad you gave me the backstory because Billy Graham is acting out this entire match in ways that do not seem justified. So at least he has the pretense that this is revenge for being put out uh, to justify his behavior. Yeah, yeah. Um, it uh, goes only so far, though. We're going to see some very explicit babyface privilege uh, talk in the commentary of this match, as you already alluded to. Yeah, absolutely. This is like uh, Butch Reed, Don Morocco are both big guys. They're muscle guys, but they're also guys that can surprise you in how they get up and get down once in a while. So you're going to see everything from moving a little bit to slower pace, pile drivers to things that are not pile drivers. So it's a it's a very good matchup. Um, when Reed's talking, it sort of reminds me of a Clash of the Champions. So it's a, mm-hmm. the vibe is a little bit different than a lot of stuff we cover. So I, I think it's a great bonus match choice. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, definitely under the radar, and it does have kind of a different feel. Um, I saw 
I saw footage of a house show, I think, and it was the strangest match because um, Slick was not there. Bobby Heenan, I think, was managing Butch Reed as a one-off, and he was wrestling Bruno Sammartino, and it was a very fun match, and it's like the stuff that happens kind of under the radar where everything is not sort of like in canon. It's not all like feeding into that same story and like reinforcing that same story, which is the master narrative. Stuff like that can be the most fun stuff of all, and this is like a little taste of that and i agree both in the ring and out of the ring uh i think they kind of go above and beyond here it is it's a, it's a funny thing because when you get into this era and you appreciate it so much you must appreciate it then for the storylines that are playing out mm-hmm. and yet how much more special is it as you said to catch that storyline that is not playing into that dominant storyline that is doing something a little sideways a little different and uh we i think we've seen that several times uh, when we've gone, uh, even getting a chance to hear Bachwinkle kind of in that rude Orndorff matchup and uh, just, yeah. you know, it's, it's special. It, it is for someone back in the DVD era, you know, if you love the bonus footage and, you know, the stuff kind of left out, which sometimes can be better than what is included, then those are the kind of moments we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely so. Um, Another big highlight of this match, as I said, I think, is the commentary. Um, we have uh, Graham out there as a babyface manager, which is rare in and of itself. Um, and you get him interfering in the match with his cane. And uh, Heenan calls him out for it. And he said, oh, if I did that, you'd all freak out. And I'd go to Jack Tenney's office and I'd be in trouble. And uh, Alfred Hayes, God bless him. What a funny, weird little guy he is. <laughs> Um, he said, oh, my attention was diverted when that happened, um, which is both an amazing turning of the tables and also yet another sign that baby faces and heels sing the same song and they don't even change the the key when they do it. Oh, that's so beautiful. That is, they absolutely do sing the same song and that is why it is a battle of narratives and not necessarily always a battle of good versus bad because Lord Alfred Hayes will prove in this show he is overwatching his monitor at times, so I highly doubt that he was not looking at that time. But, you, you know, if you take things at face value, then you've already failed to understand this error. <laughs> Indeed so. Uh, Heenan and Hayes is another one of those AWA connections, which I think I mentioned. Uh, these guys had their conflicts going back so many years that they get to revisit here. And uh, I always love to see stuff that connects back farther than the the world that began in 1985, which is the kind of sanctified, um, acceptable world that everyone agrees on, and everything beyond that is sort of uncharted territory. Yeah, there's another great moment, a Heenan moment, where out um, to fight back, an object is giving to given to Butchery. We can't really see what it is. Uh, Lord Alfred Hayes says, "Whatever it is, uh, Morocco doesn't know about it." And Bobby Heenan says. Are you saying he's stupid? <laughs> <laughs> Alfred Hayes has no good response for that, as you might expect. I want to talk about Lord Alfred Hayes for a minute, because I never, like, <laughs> his whole presentation in all the WWF is, like, so dopey, but yeah. likable? I don't know. Like, I have a hard time even articulating why I really enjoy Lord Alfred Hayes and the WWF so much. He's such an odd character, and it seems like he shouldn't be allowed to exist in this form, but he does, and somehow it works. 
I haven't listened to him a lot since childhood. And so, you know, maybe we'll hear more of him in time. But he kind of reminds me a little bit of a diff- completely different person, completely different presentation. But his baby face-ness uh, has a Gene Okerlund, uh, I think, mm. nature to it that he can be very short. And like, he, he's not one that's going to go out of his way to overly defend his positions. It's just going to be so. I don't know. I need to hear him more, and then I'll kind of get an opinion. But everybody, we're talking about all the managers who were larger than life in this era. The announcers are on the same level as the managers, as just like standout, otherworldly. You know, everybody's top notch in this era. Yeah, nobody is just like a regular human in this era. <laughs> it's, it's definitely something uh, more. Um, oh man, yeah. When when you if you go and you dig up some of the commentary, because Hayes would often sit in when they did like Madison Square Gardens shows and stuff, and uh, they they get a little out of hand at times. Um, they're they're talking about stuff that I don't know. I'm just gonna leave it there. Maybe we can yeah. dig it up later. So <laughs> I remember him more from studio, like being in the studio during sure. I guess right weekend shows. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One thing with Butch Reed, I will say, mm. you get both a pile driver where he spikes. Uh, Don Morocco, and you get a nice swing and neck breaker. So there are just moments of different kinds of offense that Butch, Butchery just executes so well in this match. Yeah, yeah, there's some nice stuff and uh, some nice bumping around from Morocco as well. Yes. Um, and I really want to praise Morocco here too because uh, he's forgotten about a little bit. But as I said before, he really is a highlight. And I think uh, this is not even his time and place because uh, naturally he's a heel. He was Intercontinental Champion uh, back in the day. And um, now he's sort of at the end uh, as a baby face and uh, sort of just a stand in for Billy Graham. But he's doing a great job with it. And I uh, really got to praise him for that. Absolutely. I've always liked Morocco. I liked him when I was young. Mm-hmm. He, he surprises me a lot because he looks like he wouldn't be able to move at all. But yet he puts in the effort. He puts in the energy. And he's another guy that ah, there, there are so many different things. There's. Hulk Hogan is Hulk Hogan because he's Hulk Hogan. Mm. And then there are the guys, you look at the guys around him, it's Randy Savage and Andre the Giant. Then you got guys who think they ought to be higher, like Honky Tonk Man. You got guys like that. Then you got folks who maybe should have been higher. And then you got this kind of guard who had really been before this era. And they're still in this era, but they're not of this era. Mm. And if you tweak them just a little bit and give them a right opportunity, a right time, they could have been so very much more in this era and Don Morocco to me is one of those. Absolutely. Yeah. He does a very good job here. Um, here's a spot. I love, we do a lot in this time. We did it in this match uh, where one guy goes up to the top. He jumps off and the other guy punches him right in the gut as he comes down. Yes. That's a great spot to me. I got to shout it out for sure. I can't remember. Does it, does he flip out of it? Cause that was also a thing back no, in the day. No, that's like the, the, the top level of that spot. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't do the flip. Is that it's maybe an Arn Anderson thing? He's not the only one, but he would yeah. do it consistently. And uh, I, yeah, I just thing. know I can see that in my head as soon as you say that people flipping out because you caught like in the midsection, so it's just it's almost like you're riding, uh, you know, riding the the punch to the gut like over and and out. It's a nice little spin out of it. Absolutely is. Um, the other thing I want to touch on again, and you already brought it up, um, another commentary bit. I definitely love when Heenan suggested Slick run to the back just like Elizabeth and bring out some help and talking about his past dealings with Slick. He can use one of my men 
If uh, anybody remembers, Heenan purchased the contract for Hercules with a pile of money and a vignette with Slick, um, which was a great little interaction. So I love the uh, partnerships between managers whenever they come up. Uh, I love those. I love the reversal of the babyface privilege that just happened at WrestleMania. Uh, a lot of good, insightful stuff packed into a little moment here. It is, and you don't even need like the babyface announcer to push back. Just in silence, your felt sense knows that's not okay. Like If Bobby Heenan wanted to do that, Slick wanted to do that, it would be like an issue, and it would probably be a rule about it in a week or two, and yet it is probably one of the, the most noble babyface moves that are happening in the business when Liz and Hulk Hogan do it. Yeah, yeah, Liz and Hulk Hogan can just do anything, I guess. Although uh, that will be a source of trouble <laughs> for them in the future. So that's another, yeah, yes. Even they're out of like you know the things you get away with because you can sometimes come back to get you, and that's a knowing that WWF knew more like more than likely they were going with Savage and Hogan mm-hmm. at WrestleMania five a year out. It's interesting to watch how these things will turn. So right now, like on par with Andre the Giant being the Saturday Night Main Event surprise manager every single time we watch one, is Liz going back there to get Hulk Hogan. And yet that will be part of the downfall of the Mega Power. So even with babyface privilege, that stuff sometimes catches up with you. Absolutely, it does. Um, and I like the repetition. Like, the Andre as a manager thing is a little tired, but I do like the repetition of some of these events, and I think that will build over time into something uh, even more interesting. So we'll see. We'll wait and see. Yeah, it's authentic again. Like It can't go too far, but like you can't convince me that if one time Liz brought Hulk Hogan out and it worked well and Savage somehow did not get upset about it, that... When things get pretty bad, you know in the past what you've done to make it better, and you might be likely to go to that well again. It just makes sense. Absolutely so. And, of course, we know the catalyst eventually will be not Elizabeth and Hogan coming out of the back, but going Mm. into the back together. So there's an inversion there that I think um, is important. Ah, man, so good. We got – we're in another year. It's so so hard because I I didn't realize – what Andre the Giant was going to do in this Legacy series, and it's so hard to kind of leave that behind, but at the same time, man, this this next year is going to be an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, Andre will be in the main event of SummerSlam, yes. uh, so that feud is not done and dusted yet, but the very fact that um, Hogan is not here and Andre is feuding with, of all people, Jim Duggan, mm-hmm. as we'll talk about later, is, I think, a pretty big sign that Andre the Giant is now not going to be what he was before. He's always going to be Andre the Giant, but the guy who um, was toe-to-toe with Hogan, I don't know if that guy is really here anymore. Yeah, I agree with that. And that a great sign of that is Jim Duggan's presence. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big clue. I would have to agree. Uh, Don Morocco does win this match with a roll-up after pushing Reed into Slick after the match. Uh, Billy Graham bullies Slick. With his cane, pokes him as he is lying prone on the table. So it's a little extra babyface privilege to sort of uh, round it out for you there. Yeah, so that's a typical way that heels lose matches. Uh, often they get run into their own manager, but then a little bit disgusting to me to catch Billy Graham over there uh, being slick with a cane while cane is slick is horizontal on the table. Like for the love of God, 
you're a wrestler, uh, you can at least let him stand up and do it fair. Yeah, for goodness sake. Um, Billy Graham is a weird one in this era. I mean, talk about people who are not of this era. Um, I'm always yeah. a little bit surprised he was even allowed to exist in this time for as long as he did. Uh, where in, in a time when um, Vince was kind of running far away from everything that happened uh, before he got there. And yet we get kind of this prolonged uh, Billy Graham appearance. And uh, and I appreciate the guy. I know Benjamin Button is a huge fan of him uh, and his prime work, I think, um, stands up against uh, almost anybody. Maybe someday we'll get a chance to look at that in more detail. But he's just sort of a weird novelty in this time. So uh, I can't speak too much one way or another about what he does in this era. Yeah, it feels like sometimes guys are on contracts because of some personal relationship, but their character only barely exists. It has no life left in it. It's just kind of trotted out there in order to keep someone on the contract. (laughs) Yeah, you may well be right about that. Uh, Famously, Billy Graham did not get along with uh, Vince McMahon and the company of this era. Um, So, yeah, I don't know how much of that bitterness existed at this time, but we know that uh, it's not going to be a good relationship in the long term. No, absolutely not. Excellent, excellent bonus footage. Uh, if you get a chance to check that out, uh, two big guys, two guys of kind of similar proportions, uh, two guys who probably could be doing more in a different setting, uh, getting it done and putting on a good match with good commentary uh, here on Primetime Wrestling April 11th. Absolutely. Do check it out. I will uh, post that in the forum thread as well, just so it's very easy to find. Absolutely. We find ourselves in April 30th, as I said, for Saturday night's main event. You should know the drill right by now. We start off with rapid fire promos. Hacksaw uh, Jim Doug. Yeah, go ahead. Look who has replaced Randy Savage <laughs> as our first appearance. But this is like, it's a sign, I think, of how high they were on yeah. Jim Duggan. And it lends uh, a little bit of credence to my nightmare scenario that I talked about last time. If Hulk Hogan, you know, had gone out. And uh, it was before Savage was really ready to step in his place. It, it, I don't know. They might have gone with friggin' Jim Duggan, and that, that would have been a bitter pill, pill to swallow, and I'm glad it didn't happen. Because here he is, standing in Randy Savage's position as kind of like the number two babyface. I don't know what to do with that exactly. It really feels like, by evidence, if Hulk Hogan's making a movie, if Randy Savage were to get injured in this moment, Hacksaw is the next guy up. Yeah, which is scary in and of itself. So Hacksaw says, listen up, tough guys, I am spring cleaning and I've got the broom. He's so proud of the weapon he's going to use to attack everyone. Yes. Just like Bruce Beefcake, I don't know how this guy's a babyface sometimes. Um, I will say uh, the person who reached out to me and talked about the water element also shared that they uh, were a fan of Jim Duggan. Um as a kid and uh, still maybe appreciate him to this day. So I'll give a little respect. To Jim Duggan clearly does have a lot of fans, and uh, it's not like Beefcake, where I'm ignorant to why someone could be a fan of Jim Duggan, so I'll give him respect as far as it goes, but man, like we're going to talk about in a minute, there are times where I find him uh, almost unwatchable, so more power to you if you get something out of that. Yeah, and the show, I, Ms. Van might have to mute his mic for a moment, but the <laughs> The show on this show as a listener, you your favorite wrestler could be Brutus Beefcake, and that's okay. We're still gonna shit on him because we're gonna call it how we see it. 
But the end of the show is always don't let the legacy be dictated to you. So we do not believe our opinions are to be above you, but we are watching consistently and trying to pull as many threads. And uh, there are moments with Hacksaw. I can say, like, I see the appeal, like I see how popular he was. But often, man, when it gets to the ring and he's just doing his hacks, his hacksaw thing is just to run through you and you can't run through him. And it gets boring. It gets predictable. And he's just off putting to me. So until he does something to change that, that's that's how it comes off to me. Fair enough. And if your favorite wrestler is Brutus Beefcake, please drop me a line and tell me why, because <laughs> I would love to understand. That's one I just like. I can understand what someone might like about Honky Talk Man, about Jim Duggan, about the Ultimate Warrior. I can understand these things, even like Sid or somebody. But Brutus Beefcake? Like, help me out here. This is like the bottom to me. And um, I don't know. I'm at Spectral Gent on Twitter. I am uh, on the forums. Just uh, let me know why. Like, what's the appeal of this creepy guy cutting everybody's hair and just just try to tell me, and I'll, I'll try to listen, I promise. Two thoughts on that. Number one, I don't have Honky Tonk Man too far from that, so I'd like to hear the case for Honky Tonk Man, because I don't know what it is. Um, I do think if you got the average Elvis impersonator off the street, they would do better than the person that was playing Honky Tonk Man, but that's a different story. The other thing that I would say is I also have some comments later. I think your Bruce Beefcake as pervert thing is starting to like really form a frame and concrete uh, narrative to go with it. You can't unsee it. I'll say yeah. that. So. Okay, maybe we'll get these comments. We'll see. We'll but, see. Uh, Heenan, Andre, Hercules. That Number one, just go watch the show and pause it when they're on screen together because this is a beautiful, classy, classic image of Hercules and Andre and Bobby together. It, it's just it's a privilege to even see them on your screen. It's beautiful, and proof again that Andre uh, could very much be a team player if he wanted to be. Uh, he was here to support his friends and colleagues. He could be out here chanting for Hercules mania, you know, if they asked him to. So, God bless uh, Hercules, God bless Andre, being part of the family, you gotta love it. Yeah, I don't know when the Horsemen uh, debuted there. If you jump on one of us, you jump on us all, but we get... When you wrestle one member of the Heenan family, you wrestle the whole family. And it will see that phrase again later added to. But it's a honest statement. They back that up. They are they are more loyal to each other than almost anyone in this era is to one another. <laughs> I would love this very rarely happened. But watching like week to week wrestling challenge or superstars or whatever, every once in a while, um, these uh, groups that were all under one manager would have a six-man tag or an eight-man tag or something, and they would just beat up some jobbers, of course. But I always, I always love to see that because uh, these groups they don't hang together like factions and stables do today, where they all kind of like always come out at the same time with the same music and do the same thing. They don't really get to do that, uh, which is both good and bad. But the times that they do associate with each other, uh, kind of under one roof was always cool and special to see. So I, I really enjoy stuff like this. I do too. That's special. Dangerous Alliance was also one in my time that it was always interesting to see them together because, you know, what a world when like Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton or Arn Anderson and Rick Rude, Arn Anderson and Steve Austin, like the combination, seeing them pass in and out of relationship together. Like, again, it's authenticity that we often look for. And, 
you know, if you're in a group together, you might not be with that person all the time, but once in a while you're going to cross paths and, mm. you know, just seeing Hercules and Andre together was fun for me. Yeah, absolutely. Some. Uh, Slick was robbed. He said, call the police. We've been robbed. And he says, the, Slick, the Slickster doesn't get mad. He gets bad. And they're going to take on Randy Savage later in the show. <laughs> uh, again, all big praise to Slick, who does not get talked about enough. Uh, he's great here. He's a highlight of this little promo barrage. Yeah, one man gang makes a sound into the punch. I don't know if that's his thing or not, but... <laughs> That's see, that's the beauty of all these managers. That uh, it doesn't really matter if the guy can talk or do anything. Almost, if you have a good manager, he'll probably get over anyway. I love that Randy Savage, you know, acknowledges that this is his first defense on television. There's something historical about it. First reign, first televised uh, title defense. He also backs up a theory I've been putting forth because he says Macho Madness is going to surround you. Uh yes, he um. He gives voice to one of our own uh, talking points that we've used yeah. before, um, and it's not the first time, or it's not the last time, I should say. Um, the energy of the Macho Man does surround you, and uh, I'm going to talk about later. One of the greatest things that Randy Savage can do that nobody else can do is uh, be in two places at once, seemingly. Mm. Like, the move, the way he moves is unlike anybody, and I want to co-sign something you said a lot of the Randy Savage that we have praised came back tonight. I don't know what yeah. happened at WrestleMania 4, but uh, this is the guy that we, we've been coming to see, for sure. It is, and what do you make? If you, if you, let's say you want to exclude the, the space element, that's just too much for you. What do you make about the fact that we will have a credible conversation about whether or not Randy Savage can be in two places at one time? <laughs> And we're failing to do our job if we don't acknowledge that this man might be in two places at one time. That There's something, like, there's a gray area there, folks. Mm, yeah. Uh, speaking of, well, no no gray areas. Here we got Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura on commentary, so it's going to be a very much a kind of uh, nose-to-nose battle throughout the show as usual. Mm, very antagonistic, for sure. Yes. Uh, Jesse Ventura is here to call out Jim Duggan. As a criminal, we do see the footage of uh, Andre and Duggan embroiled in conflict and Duggan uh, cracking Andre in the head with that two-by-four. Ventura says it's a crime. Vince says, no, it's not. And even if it was, it has no bearing on this match, which is just (laughs) what a terrible response. Thank you. So I have the, like a box around the statement that it's not, but even if it were, like who who follows their statement other than Vincent Man follows up their, uh, their claim with an acknowledgement that they're lying to your face, but it doesn't matter. Oh, uh, only Vince. Yeah, God, uh, yes. Perfect, perfect, perfect uh, window into Vincent Man, the commentator. And then this is a night of journalism. Gene, we'll, we will consider openly, is Gene Oakland a journalist? Is Jesse Ventura a journalist? And they will kind of go to war over that. So we kick off with Gene Oakland in the back. He's with Andre the Giant, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Hercules. Indeed, and to that point, Bobby Heenan declares definitively that Ventura is a journalist and Oakland is a jerk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mystery solved. Yeah, it's kind of, and who knows him better than Bobby Heenan? And Gene, Gene doesn't pull on argue because, it, like, maybe he's a journalist and maybe he's not, but he certainly is a jerk, so nothing to say there. Bobby Heenan says, when you cross me, you cross the family, and when you cross the family, you have to answer to the family. Mm. 
Yeah. We have uh, some good stuff here from Heenan. Uh, we have Andre imitating the uh, uh-huh. Duggan Hole cry, which I don't know what to make of that. But uh, he does it while miming that he's choking somebody, and the cry yes. kind of dies off as he goes, and it's it's a nice little moment. It's a five a five, beautiful. Because it's the reverse of the thing, because that gets louder. This one gets more quiet because it's a choke, and he is finishing you off. Uh <laughs> He should have just took it from him. They should have took the two by four from him and the gimmick and just taken it away from him and sent him on his merry way. <laughs> if only. It is a little, I don't know if we're going to actually watch any Andre Duggan stuff, but it's a little frustrating because like we said, this is a guy who was like the only threat in the world to Hulk Hogan. Uh, he's a guy that like nobody could stand up to. Even Hogan. Remember Hogan like sweating bullets in the ring as Andre leaned against the ropes that great scene. Jim Duggan is incapable of taking somebody that seriously. Like, this is a planet crashing down on Jim Duggan, and he just puts his hands on his hips, and he makes that stupid face, and, like, he's just going to let the planet fall on him, and he's not going to sell what that planet does to him at all. He's just going to not care about anything. So this this is why I find Duggan so frustrating. It's like everybody looks like crap when they fight Duggan because yeah. nobody can make any impact on this guy. So you're like, well, I guess that guy was not really impressive after all. And it's like all in the service of Jim Duggan being this untouchable superhuman. Like Hulk Hogan should be glad he never had to fight Jim Duggan. That was like the true threat because I don't think Hulk Hogan could make a dent in Jim Duggan's like friggin' aura of just, it's not even like he's invincible. He's just like, you can't affect him positively or negatively in any way. He just exists in his own plane. You just took every word out of my mouth that I was going to say next. Because we're going to see it twice in the show. When we go to the promo, which is next, Gene Harkin and Hacksaw, Hacksaw is just scratching his head like he doesn't even know what's going on right now. So, like, he's haphazardly in a feud with Andre and, and getting the best of Andre and not even giving his effort. And then Hercules, like, when he wrestles Hercules on this show, he's watching Andre the whole time. Like, he's just beating up Hercules without even, like, his mind being on Hercules, which just makes Hercules, who's named Hercules, look like little to nothing. And that nonchalant attitude. How many times, when you go back and listen to the history of WWF, the Legacy Series, how many times are we going to praise people for how they bump, how they sell, how they make their opponent look better? Hacksaw Jim Duggan is the opposite of all those things. Yeah. Absolutely. The polar opposite insofar as I don't think he ever did one of those things one time. So <sighs> he calls Hercules a yo-yo and he says uh, what? What? a high fiber diet or something about two by fours. And uh, I don't even know what he's. Yeah, I don't know what he's talking about with either of those comments. Um, <laughs> and then and then he just basically says, like, oh, I would have won the WF title if it's not for Andre, like, there's not even a question in this guy's mind, because this mind cannot ask questions, it's not capable of it, it's like he doesn't even know what's going on any of the time, and yet, even without having a clue, uh, he's like, if someone took the Bushwhackers, who I, I'm not really a big fan of anyway, but if they took that and they made that like a main event gimmick somehow, yes. that's friggin' Jim Duggan, and it's not appealing to me, I don't like it. That is so accurate. He is the Bushwhackers on steroids. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, God. That's so true. Um, and then 
I don't know if this is Gene Urkel or someone else, but it's a nice comment. Uh, Don Mattingly was a baseball player for the New York Yankees. The screwball is a pitch, and he says he handles that lumber like Don Mattingly, but can he handle the screwballs in the family? <laughs> yeah, the, the desire to make puns is. I feel like when a when an interview is not that great. Oakland yeah. falls back on puns because he's going to do the same thing with the British Bulldogs later. So that's evidence across text oh. that it might be off a of poor uh, promos. <laughs> uh, I'll st- I'll pause here a second because we're we're being right down on Jim Duggan, and I uh, will praise him again for all accounts of being a very nice human being um, in his fan interactions and such, and uh, that's something something valuable um, from an era where a lot of people have been proven to be anything but so I, I will praise him for that as well um and then i will go back to crapping all over the bad things he does and i will um support that by giving us two uh comments that jesse ventura has about hacksaw number one that hacksaw sounds like a wounded water buffalo in heat and this match will be a brawl because quote hacksaw does not know how to wrestle <laughs> <laughs> So there's a lot of praise for Hacksaw. Now we can get back to the truth. <laughs> back to the truth. Thank you. That water yeah. buffalo comment was um, it was too true. It was uh, coming through my TV screen a little bit for how true it was. Yeah. The cutting insight of Jesse. And this Mitchell. man, uh, I've never heard of a water buffalo in heat. So like he doesn't doesn't oppose it necessarily. <laughs> just you know he can't speak to it. Right. Yeah. He can't disagree. You can't disagree with a comment that cuttingly true you just can't do it so there were two or three times i wanted to like this because i don't get to see hercules nearly as much as i want to true. i thought hacksaw and hercules on paper you know that, that it could be very much a don Morocco versus butch reed and right. kind of what they bring but man i cannot like i was deeply deeply offended by the moments where hacksaw is dominating hercules while not even thinking about him and just watching andre you know from the ring it's yeah. This is one of those Duggan. Ma- I think I gave a little praise to the Duggan match at WrestleMania four because it was yeah. the best kind of Duggan match where he sort of like dropped everything and just actually fought the other guy and he actually acted like the match mattered to him. And this was the opposite of that because it's all the usual Jim. Like every moment he's just bellowing and he can't sell a thing and nothing can affect him practically. And then you've got. Friggin' Vince McMahon also, like, screaming ho on commentary, (laughs) and just, uh, oh, man, like, yeah, there was very little that I could enjoy in this match. It's too bad, because you got Hercules, you got Bobby Heenan, um, but, I don't know, Jim Duggan just drags everything down for me when he's doing his usual shtick. Yeah. You also have a pattern that I love, which is just a beautiful manager that Andre is. Like, Hercules gets knocked down by an out-of-the-corner clothesline. He backs up, sits in the corner, and you see Andre. We've seen this several times now where Andre from the floor into the ring is speaking into the ear of the wrestler, mm-hmm. giving them advice and helping them in the match. Yeah, yeah. Andre as a manager is very fun and a good way to keep him active at a time when he was probably not going to be wrestling too much. I think at some point, probably before we go to commercial, Hacksaw grabs a 2 by 4 and clears the ring, chases the manager's, this clears out the arena probably before he's done. <laughs> probably so, yeah. Uh, it does give Hina a chance to do his uh, crazy yeah. ring out maneuver, and uh, we've talked about this before. It's nuts. He's practically doing like a 450 splash out of the ring, and he just lands on his feet instead. But man, I don't know how his knees 
held up for as long as they did. And we know he'll have neck problems in time. He'll have some nerve damage in time. But man, like this guy's in his 40s at least here. And the way he jumps out of the ring, it's nuts. Like I, I've never seen anything quite like it. It is graceful and with the appearance of ease. <laughs> and yet also with the appearance of like he was within an inch of just eating it yes, and like yeah. destroying his body. So I don't, the grace of Bobby Heenan is amazing because he always does this. Nobody bumps like Heenan. Nobody moves like Heenan, escapes like Heenan. It always looks like it's going to be a disaster. And yet, on close examination, it is incredibly graceful. So, uh, another point in favor of my man, Bobby the Brain Heenan. It is only Roadrunner-like cartoons where you can stretch reality and bodies, and you can have them like pulled across the entire screen. Bobby Heenan, Heenan does that in real time as a human being. Mm. It's impressive. It, it, watch that. Watch that little spot. Um, <laughs> it's the highlight the of the movie. match, yeah. probably. It is. <laughs> We'll get back in. Hacksaw will, will dominate. He'll um, Hercules will bump well for him, uh, which I would advise Hercules not to bump as much as he does because he doesn't. <laughs> like, I don't know who he does, uh, who he doesn't realize he is. But that's one thing that bothers me so much that the babyface turn of Hercules should be the great, especially maybe not even immediately because he's bound to Ted DiBiase, but it should be ultimately the great awakening of understanding just who you are, that maybe you transcend errors, that you are Hercules, and it should be an awakening that changes this character uh, and the WWF, but I don't know that we'll fully get that or not. No, I don't think we will. Um, he's one of those, uh, I don't, like, the, the some of the people who turn face here from heel to face, just never, like, make it over the hump. Um, we've seen with, uh, like, Ken Patera, who was a very big heel. He came back, he turned face, and it never really went anywhere with Don Morocco. He uh, was a heel for a very long time. He turned face and was sort of treated as a second-class citizen. So I, I don't know what it is about that. Maybe there's something more to parse out there. But folks who come over uh, often don't seem to really make it all the way up the chain to where they were before. So we're going to have to keep a close eye on that. It's sad. I've already shared a Randy Savage Hercules promo together, and it's like you want to talk about a next guy up if they had done it right. Push Hacksaw out of the picture and build Hercules as that third guy. Yeah, no, that that's very interesting. Um, man, my instinct is to question that as much as I like Hercules, but maybe that is just because he never got that opportunity. So let's watch Hercules very closely as we are doing anyway, and see how far we think he could have gone. Yeah, it's fair to question because I think it would take the man and a really good gimmick. But like, if you gave him, if you treated his gimmick like you treat Randy Savage's Macho Madness, and you treat the Ultimate Warrior, you know, I just think there's something. I'm not even saying the top guy or even the next up guy, but I think like I, I wonder what Macho Madness and Hulkamania like. How does that relate to a man who transcends like time and space and has has, has this Hercules like? Uh, uh, persona, like, I don't know what that even means, but I think the gimmick done right would allow him to stand on stages that uh, he never fully gets to stand on. That I agree with. I think there was more you could have done with Hercules. Clear out, like, yeah, put him in the, the, the beefcake place, in the Duggan place, and I think he potentially could have done at least as well, if not better. 
Yeah, he could have done better than Beefcake. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's be uh. honest, yeah. I mean, it, it's not for nothing. Beefcake is popular. Like, it's yeah. not like people are not reacting to him. But, yeah, I think uh, that's more a question of um, it does kind of feel like anybody in that position um, could have gotten popular in that time with the kind of push he got. Warrior's going to be interesting. We're about to see him in a moment, and I know he's going to be super, super popular because later on, you know, he's going to have the gimmick. They're going to give him the just right gimmick that when he goes to WCW, you're going to clearly see what happens when he doesn't have it. But there's a part of me that thinks that 1990 and the Ultimate Warrior going over is the beginning of uh, the, the landscape sliding downward in a way, and I don't know if that will prove out, but... Uh, Warrior is one that I will have my eye on as he starts to appear on the scene more. Yeah, I think there may be a lot to that. Um, but yeah, we'll wait and see for our own sake. Um, this match does end in a disqualification because uh, in another one of the only good moments of the match, Jim Duggan is pinning Hercules and Heenan runs in and like sprints over and does this knee drop into Duggan's kidneys. That would explode mm. a normal kidney, and of course Jim Duggan doesn't get—he doesn't care about it. He just gets up, and nothing happens. Um, but yeah, uh, we see Duggan on the back foot for one of those rare moments as Hercules holds him, and Andre kind of beats him up. But then uh, the Ultimate Warrior does run out, and he gets a nice pop. You know, I'll, I'll give him credit yeah. for that. Uh, they clear out the ring and stand there as one of the most unappealing duos I can possibly imagine. <laughs> Absolutely. Two things from that. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Andre will punch Jim Duggan with a right hand more than once, and then when the right hand's on the other side, he just comes back with that same right hand and backhands the other side of his face. And <laughs> that's beautiful because Andre is beautiful because of who it's happening to. And then just for fun, uh, so Warrior grabs the two-by-four to clear the ring. Then he lifts uh, Hacksaw's hand, but he kind of takes half the two-by-four again. I mean, it might have been my imagination, but the second time he, he grabbed that two by four, I think Hacksaw was about to end the whole uh, segment uh, because you can't, you know, for fear of losing his great gimmick to the Ultimate Warrior. If Duggan had uh, knocked out the Ultimate Warrior here and just ended his push, mm. um, I probably would have to sing a different tune about him because uh, I'll be honest, I'll probably take Duggan over the Warrior if the chips are down. So there you go. I'm watching some things. I was looking at the ratings for Saturday Night's main event, yeah. and they, they are good I, during 1990, um, but I think they are. So not all of them. I was looking for this week just to see how Savage did, but it's, on the on the site I found it's got a question mark instead of a rating for a few of the weeks, and yeah. this is one of them. But you look at 85, you got 8.8. 8. Uh, 86, you got some 10s, then you got some 9s. 87, some 10s and 11s. Uh, 88, you got some 10s. You got some 8s and some 9s. 89, you got some 10s and some 9s and some 8s. Then January of 90, which is Hogan Champion Warrior, you got 11.1. Yeah. And then you're going to go 7, 7, 7. And your next 8 will come in February of 92. Yeah. And then it's a 6, and then it's all the way down to 2s in 2006. But, you know... <laughs> It's not like the world falls off, but I do think that if you ever want to defend Hulk Hogan, if that, if you're a Hulkamaniac out there, I think the clearest way to make a case for Hulk Hogan is to watch the Ultimate Warrior as champion because the Warrior looks better, the Warrior's younger, the Warrior puts like defeats Hulk Hogan, but there is a texture and a context and an ability to do something other than pose, 
and look good that the ultimate warrior I don't think has. And I do think again, what I think what they hope for and maybe even believe is going to be almost a second burst of energy for WWF is going to become some cracks in the landscape when warrior takes over. Yep. Proved many times over that it's very difficult to replace Hulk Hogan. And, um, I do want to look at that very closely. I am probably the least like warrior is somebody that I would probably never be a fan of in any context, really. But, uh, I will say, I do remember from watching through, uh, with the Heenan stuff that, some of his presentation is not as good as you think it might be. So I, I do think Warrior was not in a position to replace Hogan, but I also wonder if there's some chicken and egg stuff. So I want to look both at what yeah. Warrior does and how he is treated as a, we kind of go through that analysis. I think in my childhood before I knew lack of commitment, lack of other things, lack of abilities, lack of understanding for the sport, mm-hmm. like, I both there were times that I could get lost in the warrior presentation. So the colors, mm-hmm. the the running down the ringside, some of the statements, and then there was other times when I didn't know why that he did feel you know a little empty and a little singular. So I don't know. We're gonna be open minded because as I sit here right now, I'm looking forward to Savage Warrior as much as anything in this era. True. So you know we'll be open minded. We'll watch it. We might have our minds changed, but. It's something to look for, and it's appropriate to start talking about it because creeping into the landscape a little more uh, is Ultimate Warrior now. Yeah, was it at the Royal Rumble, I think, where he came out and it was kind of like, eh, like whatever, Mm -hmm. nobody really cared. And now, yeah, four, four, three, four months later, um, he's getting a much bigger pop. So something going on with him we'll have to watch. Yeah, Yeah, he's on the – it's so strange because – Randy Savage is that first guy up after that four-year reign. Yeah. And really, Ultimate Warrior is the next guy up. Ultimate Warrior is kind of to Randy Savage what Randy, Randy Savage is to Andre in this era. So, you know, they're lining up, and we'll see kind of how what comes from it. We shall see. Gene Okerlund, Jimmy Hart, and Danny Davis. Um, so Gene Okerlund says he needs to try to keep a cool head, and he gets really mad because he got his hair cut, and he thinks it's a shot at him. They go back and forth. Uh, one thing that I don't know if this is babyface privilege or not, but why is it that with heels, if I say Danny Davis, I don't even know if third tier is right, but this low level, <laughs> yeah. insignificant, petty, kind of snake, rat, whatever you want to call it, like there's a there's a role and a space for that kind of heel. Is Bruce Beefcake not the equivalent for baby faces? <laughs> he ought to be, certainly. Um, it's not presented as such, but uh, certainly I would take Danny Davis over Brutus Beefcake. But I would too. Well, I have Beefcake is the Danny Davis of baby faces, though. He's he's not. He doesn't wrestle fair. He doesn't really even care about wrestling. He <laughs> cheats. He sneaks. Uh, I don't. I don't understand the difference in that way. Um, I mean, Danny Davis is a guy I would actually watch voluntarily, so that's one thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, I Jimmy won't here, um, threatens to pull out Okerlund's hair from the inside, which I thought was a, a violent yes. suggestion. So that's, yes. yeah. Um, Jimmy Hart also calls Brutus VK the butcher here, and uh, yeah. I had a very bad flashback in that moment to something that will happen in 1994 involving all these people that they should be very ashamed about. Yeah, you can't be the butcher if you're not challenging for the world title at the biggest pay-per-view of the year. (laughs) (laughs) 
<sighs> yeah, for sure. Uh, oh, Davis has a bag of haircutting tools, and uh, Oakland seems disturbed by this, and yet the other guy's literally doing the same thing. So there's your babyface privilege again. Yeah. Uh, the moment that they that he has shears, everybody will act like this is a threat to like the health of everybody in the building that Jimmy Hart's walking around with shears in a wrestling match. <sighs> when the real shears cutting pervert is the one already running around. So, yeah. Brutus Beefcake, this friggin' guy. Um, Oakland asks him about it, and Beefcake is like, oh, it takes cutting to do what I do. And I'm like, you idiot, of course it, what, what, what are you even talking about? What does that mean, you freaking <laughs> idiot? So, oh my gosh. It he informs us that it takes cutting to be a barber. You moron. Oh. God, that's pathetic. So then, I want to co-sign your uh, pervert theory, because this is also Bruce Beefcake's response. All work and no play gives Brutus a dull blade. That's why I've decided it's two for one. So uh, Davis will get the full treatment and Jimmy Hart will get a partial treatment from Brutus tonight. Is, even if you don't take that as a euphemism, which clearly it is, by the way, but let's say it's not. Um, what is he saying exactly? Like, he can't be happy if he's not, like, forcing people to lose their hair or, like, I don't even know with this guy. This is a guy who... Even Okerlin will be disgusted by this guy in this promo because he will hold up like a huge oh, hunk of hair and like wave it around and try to put it on Okerlin's head and say he cut it off of Jimmy Hart. And it's just like gross and weird. And what is wrong with this guy? It's also the, like the same way I'll say about Rude and Honky Tonk Man that. I'm not just because you annoy me doesn't mean that you entertain me because I'm not paying and giving my time simply to be annoyed. Uh, I have to guess that he's just here to irritate you and that he's a baby face because after Gene Oakland clearly shows that, you know, he's a, like he's disgusted by the segment. Bruce Beefcake doesn't pick up on any of it and then says like he'll go get two saplings of the hair and bring them back because he didn't understand any of that. And. I don't even know that. That's not cute. It's not funny. Like, I don't... What is it supposed to be? Like, at least, again, with Hacksaw, I know what he's supposed to be. What is that supposed to be, and what is it supposed to do for me watching at home? I don't know. Brutus Beefcake is the biggest mystery to me, even more so than Honky Tonk Man. And uh, I know what you said, but I can't put them the same, because at least it tracks. Like, Honky Tonk Man is this, like, unimpressive wrestler who shouldn't be champion, and he, like, annoying annoys people. And that's sort of, like, what he's supposed to do. You can at least track, it's like, okay, that was his job. He did it. It's a crappy job, and I don't like it, but, like, he did the job that he was assigned to do. What the fuck is what yeah. with Beefcake? Like, he's annoying and creepy and weird, and somehow this is, like, supposed to make him a babyface, but even the babyfaces don't like him, and... It's just very confusing. Yeah, that, that was my point, is that I criticize people for doing a job that clearly has a service. And so I, I don't know what I have to say about this guy, because I'd like to know, because nobody's going to critique you. So honestly, someone out there that listens to our show, especially if you watched it your whole life, probably enjoyed Brutus Beefcake. So like when he misunderstands everything and he's still bringing the hair and he doesn't want to wrestle, he just wants to cut your hair. What is the positive affect that is coursing through you, and what language should we use to praise it? <laughs> that is the mystery, so if anyone knows, uh, let us know, I guess. But 
yeah, here's a clue. You might not be the babyface if after your promo, the announcers are talking about what different people would look like if you put a different scalp on them that you cut off of somebody. You might not be the good guy if that is your narrative. No, you, you're absolutely not. And when Gene Okerlund and Vince McMahon are on their face, like deeply disturbed and offended when they see anyone else carrying shears, it might mean that nobody needs to be carrying shears to ringside. Uh, yeah, so this was, this is a weird episode because I actually did enjoy it, but some of these matches, like I didn't necessarily enjoy this show for the matches. There's one or two that I like uh, pretty well, but some of them are just like not good matches. So the episode kind of gets by just on the aesthetic and the feel, which I think uh, is very good. Um, but yeah, like I wouldn't recommend anyone in the world. Like this was worse than the Duggan match. Um, cause you don't even have like Heenan or, um, or, uh, Hercules here to save us. This is not a match. Um, these are not wrestlers. Uh, I enjoyed this show even more than I thought I would, and I, I think it's great that you said that because it's not going to sound like it in a lot of spaces. But again, <laughs> they 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 have Saturday Night's main event down so well that it's, yeah. it's hard not to like it. Absolutely, yeah. Even when the matches are not good, as many of these are not, uh, there's still something enjoyable about it because uh, it's all the color and the character and the presentation, and it's great. You just you enjoy watching it. And the matches are kind of not the point, which I guess maybe uh, catered to Vince McMahon's dream or something. But, uh, yeah, um, this match, oh, it stinks. Like, I, I, there's one point where Beefcake hits, like, a knee to Danny Davis, and usually it looks like crap, and this time it looks like he really hit him. Yes. Uh, and then Davis is just, like, very sluggish afterwards. So, like, even within the context of a short nothing match – it seems like nothing is really going right. So it's, uh, I don't know. It was very weird to me. Yeah. I, I, how you can not even have a wrestling match and still have a botch spot is only <laughs> what the British beefcake can bring to the table. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is 88. So six years later, he's main eventing Starcade, which this is not even WCW, the legacy series. And I just want to take one second out to condemn them again. Yeah. <laughs> Always and forever, the worst non-Russo thing we ever saw on the whole thing, for my money. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's, like, even now, I don't know if he's in his prime. He's probably as close to it as he will be. Um, but, yeah, it still just stinks so much. And then you're going to bring him back later when he wasn't even wrestling hardly anymore. And his face was broken. And uh, it's just, it's it's baffling. It's very mysterious to me. Um Beefcake wins this match, which is short and very bad, with a sleeper hold. He struts around and looks uh, like he's orgasming. Um, he he cuts off a lot of Danny Davis's hair and then like sprays this white crap on him, just to complete the ritual humiliation. And then he wakes him up so that he can uh, be horrified by what happened to him. And man, it sounds like I'm describing some kind of like body horror. Uh, you know, torture porn film or something. Yeah. Just it's it's creepy. It's so creepy. I don't like it. No, I don't. You like you, you. Not only did you take the words out of my mouth, but you didn't even finish the sequence because he wins with a sleeper, which ought to be enough. Then he cuts his hair, which is abuse, and then sprays his hair. Then wakes him up to show him in the mirror. Then beats him up again. <laughs> yes. It's and what not the even fuck is wrong? Oh my god. There's no justification for that behavior. And again. I, it, 
one of the great truths I think I came to is that the fans cheering you don't doesn't make you good. The fans can also be bad for cheering, and this is another one that I justified cheering Brutus the Barber Beefcake on any level whatsoever because I haven't found a single one yet. No. And, it, yeah, like, he does get cheers. It's not like he's out there and nobody cares or they don't like the guy. Like, yeah. he gets his share of cheers. He's probably one of the more over baby faces. Eh, well, he, he's kind of in that upper-ish range. I don't want to go too strongly here. But uh, I don't know. It's something that people decided they were into. And uh, I don't know I don't know how to articulate it exactly. But it's not something I feel like giving Beefcake a lot of credit for. I'll just say that. Yeah. The garbage segment. I would recommend skipping it if you watch the show. Yep. Nothing good here. Just just move along. Gene Erkelin was is with Slick and One Man Gang. Again, they were robbed, but Slick ultimately comes to the point that referees don't make champions. Greatness does, and One Man Gang will prevail tonight on Saturday night's main event. Slick calls Liz a phony-legged woman. <laughs> Slick is so great. Like... I think it's Heenan, and then, like, Slick is after him at this point. Like, comfortably so in the, the ranking of managers that we have right now. That might be so. I have to think about it. Uh, Slick, Bobby Heenan. Other than Jimmy Hart, who else do we have? Fuji. Oh, yeah. So that's Slick's number two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe when Sherry comes along, he'll get bumped to three. I think he might. But, yeah, Slick, he's up there. He's an upper-tier Manager, I would put him comfortably ahead of Jimmy Hart. Oh yeah, me too. And that, but Sherry Savage, Sherry Sean, uh, there's, there's gonna be Sherry's going to is going to leave her like lasting imprint yeah. in this era of managers. Sherry DiBiase, I think, will have. Oh yeah, yeah, for yeah. A good, good long stretch. So yeah, there's some good stuff. Man, that's gonna be good. All right, I, I'm getting <laughs> yeah. excited. This is uh, the, when you know you're in a great era. Is every time, every era that we're in, every year, every month is like legacy stuff. And you also can't wait till what's next to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be very good stuff. We got, we got like five, five years, I think, of Sherry, four or five years to enjoy Sherry. So that'll be yeah. good. Absolutely. Uh, Savage is up next. He has a sleeveless robe because when you're champion, you got to let the guns out. It's a, <laughs> a baby face rule. Uh, I like Savage in this. Uh, it's an interesting promo he's looking over his shoulders at times and i just want to let him know man i know it's hard to believe this but hulk hogan's not there he's not coming to take over this promo tonight <laughs> <laughs> you're right that's what he was looking for um i will say the sleeveless robe uh, is a lesser look than the regular yes. robe um but it's a very nice looking robe it's very uh, golden and shiny and it, it matches well with his title so you have to give uh, credit for that uh, they praise Liz for being the first woman to manage a world champion, and she uh, rightly says it's all savage. Um, <laughs> she didn't do anything except uh, get Hogan and act afraid. Um, yeah, Savage, this is this is where I remember him talking about the madness surrounding One Man Gang, which is uh, right out of our mouths that we talked yeah. about before, and uh, that's uh, that's something, you know, that it shows I think that we're on the right track here. It does. He doubles up on it. He says that you're going to feel it all around you, and it's going to surround you. So, and again, the, like what I like, because this is why that we were so on point, and that's that felt sense, intuition, guessing game that ultimately catches up. He doesn't say, like, I am going to be all around you. He says you're going to feel it all around you, talking about the macho madness 
And again, this is the first time that I'm starting to see that when you really drill down, I think that there is a macho madness, which is otherworldly and of the space element. And there is a Randy Savage who both embodies that, but also is a very down, like insecure, like human being. Like there's a Randy Savage and there is a macho madness and they are not always the same thing. I think that's true to a point, but I also, I kind of almost preferred when Macho Madness was unnamed, mm. um, because that, like, clearly Macho Madness is the Hulkamania, as, you know, blah, 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 and like you said earlier, I think Randy Savage is really trying to zero in on some, like, catchphrase stuff, and you maybe put it on a shirt, or, like, people at home can say it yep. with you, and it's successful as far as it goes, like, I think most people would recognize Macho Madness if they were a fan of this era, but even though this Savage is much more back to what I like to see from Savage, still, yeah, when it was like, you, you didn't even need to put a name on it in uh, 85, 86, 87, there was something about that that I, I almost preferred. Um, so I'm going to have a lot of great things to say about Savage here, but I still um, want to give special praise to that era because I think there's pretty much nothing like it. Yeah, I prefer that as well. I think Savage prefers that. I think his... <laughs> Yeah. I think the pain in his life almost comes from having to articulate it. Yeah. And that's why when someone's not a world champion, everybody can say that guy would be such a much better champion because they are not put under the rigor of what it means to be a world champion, which is yeah. obviously between the macho madness stuff. And then he's calling Elizabeth his inspiration, saying, inspire me down the aisle. Like he's trying to build again. Elizabeth is the Hulkamaniac is like the Hulkamaniacs. And she's also almost the fans love Elizabeth. And through that savage, like they're setting up all these ways to try to imitate Hulkamania, which Savage simply doesn't have to do. He needs to just be. But it's your role as a world champion, especially a babyface champion. So and that, again, is what I'm trying to say. Like, I feel like Macho Madness, whether you say Macho Madness or Randy Savage in motion, doesn't care about any of those things. He's just in motion. But the insecure man who's going to have trouble with the Liz stuff, the Hogan stuff. I don't think it's good for him to have to bear this gimmicking upon his shoulders. And I think it's the beginning of seeing that there's a possibility that Liz Hogan and Savage are all going to be at fault when the, when the thing explodes, because it's just, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of uh, ways to parse this. And I don't think any of them are going to be good. Indeed. I am curious to watch Elizabeth because, uh, Will she be at fault or like, it's hard for me to imagine Liz, even she's so passive. Like what yeah. action can she even take to be at fault? It's a sin of omission. If yeah, she being has at ringside. One. Yeah. <laughs> just existing there. Um, so I want to look closely at that as we go along, but yes, Hogan and Savage will have many, many issues uh, that we don't I, have to talk about. I always thought about it more than everything happening to Savage. I think that's maybe what I'm seeing is that, there are so many champions. We'll get to it in time, but Shawn Michaels is such a dick, and he always wants to be world champion. Mm -hmm. And then when he's world champion, his reigns don't do that well numerically, and he doesn't handle it that well. Eddie Guerrero is one of the great stories of becoming a champion, and when he becomes champion mentally, he doesn't do well numerically, and he doesn't like, it doesn't do that well. And like there's this other side of being world champion that is not that attractive, and so... It enlarges not only the gimmick, but it enlarges the human being and their faults and insecurities at times. I think it makes me wonder if there are certain uh, elemental um, 
if certain elements just don't mesh well with this role the way you think yeah. they would, because uh, we know Savage is fire, and I think fire is uh, the most volatile element and uh, makes it difficult. But we know there are good fire champions also. Um, and, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I have to think about that. I have to parse that out of my mind. In my mind, Sky, too, has always been one, because Sky is idealistic. So Sky, Sky is great for... I want to do the impossible and become the world champion, but I don't know if Sky even imagines what it's like to sustain a world title reign, and then when it doesn't go well, like, how beautiful it is to see something shoot to the sky, and how ugly it is when it comes down even faster than it, than it shot up. Mm, yeah. Is my is Michael's a Sky wrestler, would you say? I don't know. Like, yeah, he's a the human be- Separating the human being and the gimmick, I think the, the boyhood dream gimmick is a Sky element gimmick right because during that time it's gonna be nothing but a boyhood dream a boyhood dream boyhood dream dream is sky you know that belief that hope especially because oh he's not supposed to do it and he does it so the gimmick that at least he comes through to win the world title i think is sky Mm. and the ugliness of the other side of it him like kicking vader in the face because the match ain't going like he wants it to go is is the side of Oh well, you got your dream, but you know, good luck living it. <laughs> yeah, man, that's so far away. But that, like, a lot of that is stuff I have not seen. Uh, we're in an era I'm very familiar with, thanks to the Heenan series. And there will there will come a time where I'm watching a lot of stuff for the first time, so I'm very curious to see how that goes. Yeah, I would say finally for this promo because we have said Savage was on for both of us again, and yes. this is without missing a beat. Gene Oakland says, you're going to be entering his danger zone. And Randy Savage says, yeah, but I'm going past the danger zone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the um, the spatial element of Randy Savage. It's, uh, he's always positioning himself in space, in uh, different zones. Like, uh, he, he goes to all these different places as he talks and thinks and acts. Um, there's something about that that is uh, very cool. Yeah, he's going to embody it and back it up in this matchup as we move into Savage and One Man Gang. Oh my gosh, yeah. Right at the start of this, like, Slick takes, like, just a few steps towards Liz, and Savage, like, my enduring image of Savage from this series is, like, a ball of energy flying through space. Mm -hmm. And he is that because, as promised, he basically surrounds Slick all by himself somehow and hounds him to the locker room immediately. And, uh, man, if I were Slick, I would have run, too, because it was kind of terrifying to watch. Yeah. It, he's everywhere, and any other wrestler, almost, you'd be like, you're going to run out of gas. Like, you don't even be chasing people down the ramp, but you don't even have that thought when you're watching him do that. I think Savage is such an interesting one, because I think he has a reputation of, like, at, at house shows and stuff. He would kind of take it easy. He's one of those. Um and I remember, and hopefully I'm not getting any details wrong, but I think uh, a few years after this, he's going to tell Shawn Michaels, basically, like, you can't go all out every night. Um, you know, it won't work. So, I don't know. That's, like, another maybe step into the mind of Randy Savage and uh, who he is now versus who he may be later and uh, who he is in his personal mind as opposed to who he is um, as a character in the ring. Yeah, because there's... Jesse Ventura, again, he's been doing it throughout this series, and it's fair. He says that Liz is a weakness because he's all, she's always a distraction. She never brings anything. It's always, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think that Randy Savage, 
that's the same reason Savage wants her there. I think Savage wants to be worked up and he wants to be everywhere and he wants to be provoked. Mm-hmm. So there's this weird thing. I don't know how to parse this out, but there's this beautiful uh, space element thing in watching Savage. But is it a fire that is both wonderful and ugly that gives the energy to that space? Mm, yeah, I think there is. Yeah. But Savage has to know that every single matchup, he like he can call her an inspiration, but it, like his his likelihood of winning is lessened in that he will be wrestling everyone around and is an easy way to distract him. Mm. But yet, I think that he wants that because I think that ultimately it drives him. Like to be whatever it is that he is in these matches, to be all over the place, to be worked up. Like, I think he's he's looking for any reason he can get. <laughs> it uh it stokes his fire, you know, definitely. Yeah. This is how this guy builds up to be a raging inferno. Um, it's not enough for him to think of uh, children being injured, like uh like it is for Hulk Hogan. You know, you need yeah. something <laughs> a little more realistic. By God, until they're injured, Hulk Hogan can't. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no, no. Okay. All right, Warrior and Savage, I noted this. Warrior and Savage are both going to use energy and motion in a way that Hulk Hogan does it, almost to try to to stand in for kind of that place. And But Warriors is like this straightforward line where he can just run straight. Randy Savage never stops, so he has to like run horizontal and in circles because eventually he'll be out of the building. So they both bring this energy, but it's a very different kind in the way, in the way that it's used. Savage is, um, like in a video game, you know, those attacks that, like, cover the whole screen. Mm. Savage is an area effect. He's not just, like, a, a straight line, so. He's also a one-man combo, <laughs> so, like, I don't know how that works, but. <laughs> uh, hey, Vince McMahon on commentary says that Savage is kinetic energy, so that that's mm. a big uh, thumbs up to you, Vince McMahon, for uh, articulating that in a great way. It's another thing we've talked about, yeah, I feel like there's a lot more. Like Hogan is gone for the moment, and like Vince is actually trying to put Savage over on the level that he's supposed to be yeah. as world champion. Absolutely, uh, his full attention is on Savage for once, so that's uh, that's something. So this is a matchup that, unlike WrestleMania four, I think Savage gets a lot more in the beginning and the end, so we get to see him. And it, oh my god, so it's like I think he pins one man gang, and one man gang throws him to the floor, and. He goes from landing on the floor to the apron to the top rep before one man gang gets up from that attempted pin. <laughs> Savage is on another level here. I'll say this this might be the best one man gang match I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly nothing else comes to mind. And like their match kind of stunk at WrestleMania four, to be honest. And this match was uh I I was ready for it to stink again and it did not stink. It was actually very good. This is probably my favorite match on the show, to be honest. Did he wrestle Elegante in a stretcher match? One Man Gang? Yeah, I think he did. So this um, is one of the two best matches in the One Man Gang's <laughs> career. <laughs> uh, yes, you got it. Those two are the two, for sure. Uh, oh my gosh. It takes, um, a, it takes a real talent to bring it out of the gang. Uh, um, yeah, no, I, this is great. And, you know, it's not it's not a lot of gang doing stuff. No, because, nor uh, should it be. No, yeah, he's just, like, of all the lumbering big guys, he is the most lumbering, so take that he for does. a while, but Eventually he looks around at times like, you know, like, what am I doing again? You know, what what is this? Oh, wrestling? Is that what this? Oh, yeah, a savage. little uh, Sid imitation, perhaps, in that respect. 
I'm loving the way that Savage attacks the top rope when he's going for the elbow. It's not like later where it's like the way that Shawn Michaels, for example, that super kick will be led up by stomping the rope where it becomes just a performative act. Right now, Savage is very much an underdog who, when he sees that corner, he goes sideways into it almost to, to get it done and, and get the victory. He attacks this match, this whole match, yes. like not just his opponent, not just Slick. He attacks like everything in his range, the ring and the moves he's doing. And uh, there's an energy and a desperation to this that was totally lacking at WrestleMania 4. This is probably better than any Savage match at WrestleMania 4. And I like the Valentine match a lot. But uh, the energy this had, I think, was far beyond what we saw there, which is weird, which is not something I ever expected to be saying, but uh, I think it is true. The fans are more behind him. Yeah. In this. There are more Randy Savage shirts, and Randy Savage is doing... This is what Hulk Hogan can't do. Hulk Hogan can Hulk up, but that's almost not even being an underdog. That is, like, even getting beat up will eventually be offense because it leads to the hulking up. Right. What Randy Savage can do is bring the kind of energy that Hogan doesn't bring as far as... Uh, moving about, and then he can also bring like just this tenacity that Hogan doesn't need, but Randy Savage does, and that's what makes him special. Mm-hmm. And somehow it was void at WrestleMania 4, and it's back in full effect to me on this show. Yeah, absolutely so. Uh, this is the Randy Savage that we came to see. There's so much great, like, we talk about how he's in two places at once. I'll give you some examples of that. Like, at one point... One man gang is just like Irish whooping him across the ring or whatever. And instead of hitting the ropes quicker than you can even see almost, Savage drops down, slides out, and like he's attacking Slick before you even knew what happened. And Slick didn't even like do anything directly adjacent to that event. Like he is just using this energy and motion in every direction. There's another point where, again, outside the ring, Slick takes like one step towards Elizabeth. And Savage almost sails out of the ring like an arrow in the middle of fighting one man gang and like knocks Slick's hat off and smacks him in the head. And uh, Mm -hmm. just it's crazy. Like, I don't know how he does some of this stuff. What does it say too that I didn't write down any of these and every one of them you said about three words and then I can see visually the entire scene because it's just it's so beautiful that it's just in your head, even if you didn't make note of it. Yeah, this match, uh, <laughs> it's really good, and it's almost more Savage versus Slick, because he spends a lot yeah. of time interacting with him, and this is another chance for me to praise Slick as a great, great manager uh, who deserves more credit. Um, but yeah, it's just very good stuff, and I didn't even think, but like so much of this conflict eventually is going to come down to Savage and Hogan versus uh, Big Boss Man and Akeem, yes. who is one-man gang, so like already... Um, that's like February of next year where that's really going to fall apart. So we've got a lot of foreshadowing here if you want to look for it. It makes me, number one, I'm I'm super looking forward to that because I know from Saturday Night's main event, the boss man hugging stuff is fire. So that is to be looked forward to. The other thing I'm thinking after your comments is what did different wrestlers, especially baby faces, look like with the odds against them? You know, Hulk Hogan has the hulking up. Like, Bret Hart will have these incredible, like, roll-ups and finishes that are exclusive to him. Randy Savage might be, like, at my at his very best and my favorite as a babyface when the odds are against him. And like what you're saying, he never stops. That fire just keeps going. The motion doesn't cease. Right? There's a, there's a tenacity in Randy Savage where 
you are both afraid for him and excited to see what he will do at the same time. And that, that kind of lifts him up in this era. Yeah, it really does. Um, Savage, uh, this is a wonderful, wonderful performance for Savage. And uh, I don't know, like, is WrestleMania 4, does it have a different narrative if this Savage shows up for that event like we yeah. thought he would? I don't know. That's interesting for me to think about. But I'm glad it's here because I almost talked myself into thinking, like, the this Randy Savage might not come around a lot. But here he is. So clearly he is um, going to be with us for a while. Yeah. I am excited about it. I, you know, we, we go off of what we see. So I know from childhood, I'd like the Randy Savage title reign. I'd like Macho King, but you know, we'll break it down as it comes to us. Randy Savage though, establishing himself as a world champion on this show. Yeah. Yeah. Much more so than at WrestleMania four, you know, winning four matches aside, uh, there's no Hogan to sort of like prop him up here. Um, there's no weird lack of energy that held things back. Uh, this is a match, yes, Savage does decisively get the win when uh, Slick accidentally hits One Man Gang with his cane, and Savage, as you said, just like sprints to the top rope. He points up south of Mars, pointing up to that red planet, and then jumping down with the elbow to get that clear-cut victory. Absolutely. Uh, good start. Uh, to the the year to come. I hope to see more of this, less of WrestleMania 4. We go Gene Erkeling with the British Bulldogs. This is WWF 80s, where with a straight face, no irony, no nothing else, Gene Erkeling tells them, if anything, with earnest, there is a rumor circulating that the demolition is going to take Matilda, dip her in chrome, and use her as a hood ornament. (laughs) This is like the whole narrative of the match. Yeah. And it's stupid. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> That's what's at stake here. And the British Bulldogs cover Matilda's ears. Uh, and then they say whatever they say. Uh, after Matilda, the job Matilda did with Bobby the Weasel at WrestleMania 4, that pissed me off so much because Matilda's not a wrestler. Who cares what Matilda did? You guys, what about the job you did? You lost to Bobby Heenan at WrestleMania 4. Yeah, very true. Very true. They don't even have anything like they don't say anything interesting here. Uh, Okerlund is, is reduced to just making like a dog pun to sort of like round yeah. things out, which is another point in my theory that Okerlund relies on puns when he's talking to someone who's a bad promo. So here we are. Yeah. Jesse Ventura is not having it. He heads down to show journalism, journalist narratives uh, done right as he interviews the demolition and Fuji. <laughs> this is way more fun. So another point. For Demolition being better than the British Bulldogs, and they are uh, in the ring as well, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, Ventura says that uh, the team is a great example for the children, so take that for what you will. He asks Mr. Fuji if the face paint is what helped him win the titles, and Fuji admits, yes, it's because this is my face of pain and Demolition chance for pain. So this is very silly, but I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Has your face paint helped you... Uh, win the titles, if so, how so? Uh, what, what what journalistic work? And, but he uncovers it, apparently. Uh, Fuji says it was the secret that did it. So yep. amongst the foolishness, Jesse Ventura has drilled down and found the truth behind the story at hand. So one point for Jesse to body Ventura. Works a little better than a uh, jar of mustard, I guess. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> we, went, we, we went there so fast. <laughs> no trigger warning, nothing. 
Oh, I'm very sorry. Um, no, the muscle has become a calling card for Fuji, though. So it has. But again, this is a strange era, and this is—I like the authenticity that Bobby Heenan is so far above Jimmy Hart and Fuji. But Jimmy Hart and Fuji are both having sometimes more uh, title success than Bobby Heenan because that is the way life works. Yep. Uh, here's Bobby Heenan making like plans and having strategies and trying to recruit the best people, and little did he know you should just. Put some paint on your face and call it your yeah. face of pain, and that will win you some titles. So I'm going to take this again as some more evidence that Fuji is uh, the worst manager because these are his <laughs> plans, you know, to put face paint on himself, and he thinks that's the key to, to putting it all over. Oh, man, I can't argue with that. <laughs> so this is Demolition versus the British Bulldogs. I think, number one, that for 1988, Demolition is unique to the tag division in WWF. They they they've updated the division, and I just look forward to seeing them when they're out there. Uh, yeah, Demolition is great, and they don't have nearly enough narrative today. the The double axe handle barrage that these guys do is stronger than most teams. Like their strongest move is not as strong as this, and it's like their first go to in every match. I love these guys, man. Yeah, there's a time where they are punching and corner stomping a mud hole, and I don't even realize that they're wrestling the British Bulldog when I say to myself, man, I wish they had been on Austin's team at um, Canadian Stampede where, where they took on the Hart Foundation. <laughs> yeah, they would have done, uh, done some big favors to Steve Austin, I think. Um, it's beautiful. Like They, they are what they are. They are. I said, because I'm doing a lot of positive psychology stuff, I'm taking uh, like a year of coaching stuff, and mm-hmm. it's really about trying to figure out your values, your strengths, and focusing on that, and like, it's been working for me, and I said something uh, to my girlfriend about how like when you, auth- when you are, like authentically, when you are what you are and you set your trajectory that way, everything just becomes easier, mm-hmm. and the people that stand out in this era, whether it's Savage, whether it's even Hogan, whether it's Demolition, are people that have tapped into what they are, and they simply project it and continue in that stride. And mm-hmm. it's not that complicated. Like, I lived the entire life for a lot of reasons, thinking that if you really want to get anything out of life, man, it's got you got to go take the most compl- complicated role, sacrifice, hurt all the time. Very uh, fundamentalist religion in the beginning of that. Mm-hmm. But... There is something about once in a while, it's almost counterintuitive that you find a cheat code or an easier path and you almost reject it out of hand because you're like, no, it doesn't work that way. But sometimes it does. And demolition strikes me as people who just know what they are and they go forward that way and it pops and it appeals and it's fun to look at. It really is. Uh, I love demolition. I thought they definitely stood out in this match, which unfortunately is pretty short. Um, and only really gives you a tease, I think, of what they can do. Uh, I want to particularly praise Axe of Demolition, because I do think uh, he is the standout, noticeably. And uh, Smash is fine as well, but you want to talk about people who know who they are? This is the guy who will be uh, Repo Man and the Blacktop Bully, yes. and he will have like a thousand identities when left to his own devices. Um, but paired with Axe here... He kind of, like, rises to his best, and uh, Axe, I think, really leads the way. I love Axe, so I'm just going to shout out that Axe is great here. He is not bad at any gimmick, guys. You can give him any gimmick. Mm. Like, <laughs> what gimmick would you say he's bad in? I mean, 
I guess bad would be too far, but like a lot of gimmicks are just maybe it's the gimmick itself because some of these yeah. gimmicks are like embarrassing a little bit. So. Oh, I'm not saying the gimmick's good. I'm saying like when I, when I think about Repo Man, I have no like care for the gimmick, but I can think about his eyes popping. Okay, all right, I'll um, buy that. Like yeah. he always kind of does his best. I'll give credit for that. Blacktop Bully, he did his best with that too. Kind of all the all the stuff that he did. All right, I'm with you. All right, you you won me over. <laughs> Yeah, the person in it, and it's a shame that it, that it comes to that. But man, right. there's an there's an aliveness to that person. I don't know what that is, but right. he has an aliveness to him, and I greatly appreciate that. All right, yeah, I'll buy that. Um, I'm still an axe guy, but yeah, no, you're right, you're right. Smash, he he always does his best. I'll give him a lot of credit for it. I think I don't know. I'll have to watch because the thing is, here's the funny thing. I I, I might be just it might just be me over the top because in my history of my fandom, I never liked Demolition. I barely watched them, so it's not like I really disliked them. I just kind of saw all these guys with face paint who, you know, they look a particular way and they do a particular thing, and it just never appealed to me. And so, but I, I honest to God, you know, approach all this with an open mind, and, like, they are one of the great, like, just, uh, they are fresh air to an era that didn't even need fresh air. <laughs> That's fair. I think I think there's a few aspects to that. Um, one, I also originally did not care for demolition, and I'll tell you the reason. It's very simple. Uh, their gear um, yeah, is so weird. <laughs> like, unless you really watch them, it, it, it's a little off-putting. It's like, why are they wearing this weird like SM yeah. harness? So, uh, so that's one thing. But I think you get over that quickly if you watch them more. The other thing is. It's really no exaggeration that once they get into the era where, like, Crush is brought in and the Road Warriors come in, they are dropped down so fast to being just nothing, to being just, yeah. like, complete afterthoughts. Mm. That's probably more where you came in. It is. And first impressions are hard to overcome. But right now we're watching, like, Prime Demolition, and it is great. Both of those points are strong because culturally, even the music that they represent was not something I was into. And then... Like I said, I, I saw them at a different time, and it's almost LODs the same way, and there's others. Warrior might be the same way. There are some people who cannot be like jobbers or low card. Like right. you cannot be a successful demolition, and you just get beat up by everybody. Like <laughs> you know, then what are you? And I think I did see them kind of in the fall of demolition, but it's, it's so pleasant. I don't know what it is, but what is? And it, it's so weird because there is that. LOD comparison, but like thinking about WWF in '88, what in the WWF is like Demolition? Yeah, nothing, nothing much. As you said, there's maybe a connection to Ultimate Warrior, but like I would never choose to watch a Warrior match, no. um, and I would always want to watch a Demolition match. So, um, so yeah, there's not much that is really in the same vein, exactly so as Axe and Smash. They also they took the belt off Strike Force and almost anybody that did that right now would I would be kind of unfavorable to because I was really enjoying Strike Force but with Demolition it was just a smooth transition from good to good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean uh, nobody quite touches Strike Force except maybe the Brainbusters, but uh, Demolition is not far off that tier at all, and uh, I think we're really going to see the best of Demolition over the next few years. I'm very excited about that. This matchup is a DQ where Fuji gets chased away and these idiots come back with his cane broken and just start using it in the ring. And it, it, it's, a, it's another babyface thing where 
the referee kind of just has to wait a while saying, like, I don't want to disqualify you, but then, oh, oh you're not going to stop me. You also don't care about winning the tag title, so <laughs> guess I have to. Here's a DQ. You know what the ref was doing? They were trying to wait and see if Axe Smash would also cheat so he could yeah. disqualify both <laughs> yeah. of them. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a that WrestleMania point. 4 thing, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, how stupid to do this in a tag team title match? And you're the baby face, so it's not even like you took the coward's way out if you're the heel and you want to just create controversy. You're literally, you could have just come back and kept wrestling, and instead you just hit somebody with a piece of a cane that you stole from a guy. So good job, buddy. Yeah, like, I, like this is a Brutus Beefcake thing again. Like, why am I going to invest time in you when you don't even care about being successful? Like, I don't, like... It's ugly behavior, it's bad behavior, and it's stupid behavior, and that does not appeal to me. So Bulldogs will not get the belts. Demolition will get their hands raised in victory, uh, rightfully so, by disqualification in this one. You know that it's uh, blatant when even Vince McMahon has to admit that the disqualification was valid. Um, yeah. yeah, that even he could not spin it another way. A man with no shame whatsoever. Right. Gene Oakland's with Don Morocco. He's wrestling Ted DiBiase tonight. Uh, they're going to fight fire with fire. A million dollar man versus a million dollar body. <laughs> and, yeah, that's pretty much all Billy Graham yeah. has to say. But uh, we have a much better promo from Ted DiBiase. Uh, Gene Oakland asked him if he's back to square one. DiBiase said he was robbed of the belt twice. And he knows he is still the rightful champion. Okerlund chides him and says he is merely <laughs> a contender. Yeah. So Okerlund uh, getting salty right here. Yeah. Gene, that's surprising. Gene comes at him. said, oh, it's easy to say. You are merely a contender. And he says, don't tell me what I must do. But if it means getting to Randy Savage, he'll go through Don Morocco. This is a Teddy Biasi is one I want to follow, too, because I don't know his trajectory. This is a guy... This man never, according to folks, promises like outcomes, but he kind of promised the moon in this million dollar gimmick and it's kind of been proven in the way he came in. But there's a lot of sharp, sharp spikes and ups and downs with Ted DiBiase. So it's going to be interesting to watch his trajectory throughout all of this. Indeed. And I think at one point it was the plan uh, or at least penciled in that he would mm -hmm. be the champion after WrestleMania four. And uh, we know it's never going to happen. At some point, we'll get on to the million-dollar belt, which was sort of like um, the compensation for that. Uh, and I don't know i don't know what the narrative of that is. I think people kind of disregard it now, but I think it's actually uh, pretty successful. So I want to look very closely at what he does with that tool and uh, how high he goes with that. Because after, like, he's going to go to SummerSlam in the main event as well, but he's not really going to be in that uh, world title scene very much longer than that, so he's going to have to find some other stuff to do. Yeah, the thing that makes him as tall as Hogan and Andre is the money that he's standing on and the fact that he promises that you can buy the championship. Mm. And so when you finally decide that, no, you're actually never going to be champion, you have undercut the entirety of his gimmick so that I find a million-dollar belt, and we'll, 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 we'll see when it comes out, but it seems like the, the best move that they could have made given where things were at that time. Yeah, I remember thinking very positively about it, and I know that uh, in a couple of years I'm going to just be singing the praises of the Ted DiBiase Virgil feud because I think it's yeah. a friggin' work of art. It's a modern miracle. So there will be some very good Ted DiBiase stuff to talk about. And why would, if you're willing to buy the WWF title on camera without trying to win it, 
why would you be opposed to just creating your own belt and, and making a million dollar title and making it above the others? It's a great move, honestly, and I, I, I don't know. I feel for some reason I feel like people just kind of think it's silly now and they don't really think about it much. But uh, I think it was great, and I, I hope we find um, some good stuff to cover with that belt. Yeah. Meanwhile, this is the DiBiase as Miz fan said, tr- still trying to claim, trying to climb that ladder to SummerSlam and beyond. So he's got to get it done though against a guy who we've already called once tonight, uh, the Rock Don Morocco. Yeah, this is another, we're getting into the matches where maybe people are going to bed, uh, yeah. like we've talked about, but still, um, this is a fun match, it's not super long, but it's probably my second favorite one on the card, uh, just because the action is very smooth, it looks good, you have DiBiase bumping around, great, like only he can do, and doing that like over, like backwards somersault thing that he does, uh, Morocco gets some good shots in, I don't know, I just felt like both guys looked really good here, and uh, I enjoyed this match. I agree. It's, it's, it's more difficult to enjoy these matches because you cannot ignore kind of the trajectory you're on at this point of the night. And, <laughs> you know, it feels rushed. It feels all these things. But then when you, like, drill down to the actual matchup, the back and forth is good. The bumping is good. It's a DiBiase-led matchup that you can just tell. Like, here you are with a specific individual who – before Mr. Perfect, before Bret Hart, before Shawn Michaels, you're getting one of these guys who is going to pave the way for kind of the best of what the IC title can be in that here's how you set a match, here's how you have a flavor, here's how you do all these things. So Morocco's good, but Teddy Biasi kind of just is a Teddy Biasi framework that we're going to see again and again, I think. Absolutely so, and it comes off very well here. Um, one point of conversation in this match, they – they Ventura and Vince argue about whether Billy Graham is old or not. Um, <laughs> and I just, I have to ask you, how old do you think Billy Graham is here? Oh dear God. <laughs> it's so hard because knowing that I just looked up that Randy Savage and Hogan are like 36 and 37, I think uh-huh. he might be in his forties, but I almost think I'm in his fifties or sixties. Yeah. He's 45. here. Uh-huh. And I would have put at least 10 years on that. Yes. So, you know, it's... The only reason I don't is because knowing their age, he can't be that old. But if you had asked me that without me looking up those ages yesterday, I would have said mid-50s to 60. Yeah, absolutely. So, I don't know. That's just the brittleness, I guess, of superstar Billy Graham uh, kind of giving that off physically. So, um, <laughs> I can't blame Ventura for basically just calling Billy Graham old here because uh, he is old in a felt sense way, whether he is really old or not. Yeah, it's so hard to know how much is the person, how much is the gimmick, because they're just stale. Like, I, I like Don Morocco, as I said, but when Don Morocco and Billy Graham come out, mm. like, I could go take a break because nothing's going to happen yeah. that's going to change the game while I'm away. Yeah, definitely. Uh, they don't really matter as a pairing or anything. Um, and I don't even feel like Billy Graham was all that popular in this time. You know, like, the fans didn't really pop that big for him. And yeah. I don't, so many, like, the whole world changed in 1984, 85, after Billy Graham was already, like, existed. Because he's, what, late 70s, I think, when he was champion. Um, so, yeah, how many of these fans don't even know who this guy is, uh, is my question. Yeah, and it doesn't, I don't think it does him any favors that Hulk Hogan's had the run that he's had, and it's just, With the same it's mustache, just changed. no less. Like, so. what, is, what is the service that Billy Graham gives this era, you know? 
Yeah, and uh, it's a shame that he couldn't bring kind of like the best of himself, but I think the same thing which made him age 10 to 20 years beyond what he actually was kind of robbed him of his ability to contribute. Like, yeah. he is physically brittle. Um, his attitude, uh, if not now, then soon, will be very bitter. And uh, he's just not really in a, a place to contribute the way that he could have, um, maybe even just a few years earlier. I've said this as a new generation, too, like, there's going to be a sharp line at some point where Randy Savage is like 100 years too old to even wrestle. <laughs> and he was wrestling the day before, yeah. you know. And then there are going to be all these guys who are not part of the new generation that shock me that they were still wrestling during it. So, like, Rick Martel, like, yeah. and he might have some great matches, but and he will have some great matches. He I, will. Rick Martel versus Razor Ramon and others. But even with guys like that, once they're done with you in a way, even if you're still on camera, there's a roundness to you of just you can't pierce through anything like you can't do anything. And a lot of fans might not know you because they're in that era. And it just sucks because sometimes it's hard to know is the person past their prime or is it the fact that they're going to be booked in a way that could never be a threat to anything? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I don't know if it's a point of praise or criticism. It's probably more nuanced than one or the other, but they're definitely very good in this era about deciding who is going to be a focus and who isn't. Mm-hmm. And I guess it is a point of praise that they're consistent about it. Um, Cause it's one criticism recently is that like, there's a lot of stop start. Like one day a guy will matter and the next he won't. And then he'll matter again and he won't. And you like, you never know from day no. to day if you should care or not. And that line is a lot clearer in this era, which I think overall is good because it's easier to kind of invest in some guys and not in others. But also some guys kind of get caught on the wrong side of that line and then they just have no way to get back across it. I would take this any day because Me too. I might be offended because you might pick the people that I you might not pick the people I wish you would pick. But that's also not my decision. And at the same time, but, the, you know, it doesn't undercut the whole experience, whereas for me, just for my particular fandom, I, it's hard for me. Like Randy Orton, for example, that's the first name that comes to my mind. Like, is Randy Orton, what is he, like a 12, 13, 14 time world champion? Something, I don't know. Yeah, uh-huh. Like, it's nothing, like, he's a great wrestler to me, but like, it's an era where you can be a 14 time world champion and also at times almost have no identity or flavor after like a bunch of them because you can go up now. Big Show is an example of that. Like, Big Show can be a jobber one week and then he can be Andre the next week. Mm. Like that stuff just does not work for me. And it's insulting. I wish more fans would just not allow it because it's, it's, it's not acceptable in any kind of good storytelling I can think about. Yeah. I, I think I am with you here. Um, but it is still frustrating at times because we just talked about a guy like Butch Reed who will never be allowed to really have any impact Uh, when he probably could have had a lot. So um, there's pluses and minuses. I think overall I agree I would go with this um, strategy. But still, there are some frustrations with it. They tried to make him IC champion during this era, but I don't know what happened between... I've heard that, but at what point in our watching, like, was that the plan? Like, that never came across with anything that we watched, I think. That's a a good point. I I would have to look into it again. Right. I've heard that also. Vince McMahon thought having a blonde black guy would be like the greatest heel innovation of all time for some reason um so i mean i would have loved for him to be intercontinental champion right now instead of a uh, honky-tonk man but uh ah, not too. to be yeah 
He was so unique though, and yeah, yeah, this is a guy that will go on a team with Ron Simmons and put Ron Simmons like he's going to put over the guy that becomes the first black uh, WCW heavyweight champion. Yeah. So Reed should have had a greater legacy, but even in him not getting the legacy he deserved, his legacy is still more than what we recognize it for at times. I think. I think so, especially because Doom, I think, is a great tag team yeah. in and of itself. And I think he always does well when he gets a chance. And I think he's another guy who has some territory credentials that uh, are not as well known. But I think he's another Mid-South guy, and uh, mm-hmm. he had success there as well. So I have a lot of time for Butch Reed. I'm a fan of the guy for sure. Yeah. Doom versus the Horsemen and not even like ah, the tag yeah. team division. Like Flair got involved in that. It was so unique. So good. Man, I'm looking forward to the Brain Busters while we're on that topic. Oh, me too. Hey, they're, they're my favorite tag team of all time, and they're coming. I, yes. I, I think they're the end of the very tail end of '88. And yeah, they're, they're in '88. Yeah, so I'm very excited for that. Absolutely. We get a short Savage uh, after DiBiase's win. We get a short Savage promo just to really let us know that we are still on the Savage DiBiase train uh, going forward. I really like this promo. Um, he's very uh, aggressive towards DiBiase, and uh, he'll end up bankrupt. Yeah! I, don't know. <laughs> I, I like that line. I enjoyed it. Yes. Good stuff. Then we got, I think they had one match too many, and I'm not even saying the last match because there's other bad matches, but I felt like time-wise there should have been one more match, but we have a rude Coco match kind of tacked on here at the, I think, the last five minutes of the show. Yep, yep, they really cram it in here. Um, the timing of these is always so weird, because then they also do, like, the, like, oh, we're back for one second, here's another commercial, yes. oh, we're back again, like, it's so, I don't know why they do that. Um, but, yeah, it's a very short match. Uh, it's Rick Rude. He doesn't really have enough time to be boring, but he doesn't have time to do, like, anything else either, hardly. He does one thing that I like, which is uh, the thing he's best at, and that's act very cocky and then get, like, kicked in the face. Mm. Um, so I'll give him credit for that. I left the knowing every single time. I, I don't know if there's anybody else in the Legacy series so far, but Coco Beware has just been better every time. Like, every time I see yeah. him, I'm happier to see him. Like, he moves at his pace for the five seconds that he gets, and Rick Rude just has to live with it. And then the <laughs> other parts are Rick Rude, like, getting an offensive move and then gyrating around. Yep. Which yeah. to me it seems like Coco would take advantage of that if it was an actual like based on their strengths as wrestlers. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely agree. Coco made the most out of what he could do here. He was definitely driving the positive parts of this match, in my opinion. Uh, unfortunately, he just didn't get a lot of time to show who he was. So I wish they would do more with him. Like high energy is not going to be much either. And how you can have Coco be wearing Owen Hart together and that not turn into something. Yeah, and, like, it was great for the little time it was there, but, yeah, they just never got much attention. Um, I don't know. I love Coco Beware. I think he's great, and I'm glad to praise him again on this show, a very deserving Hall of Famer based on uh, his efforts and his accomplishments, and I will fight anybody who disagrees. Yeah, and he lasted longer than Tom Zink, which is good. But we will <laughs> eventually put him down with a rude awakening. Indeed, yes. He he survived longer than the Z-Man, so uh, you got to give credit for that. Here's the thing. <sighs> Rick Rude, as a wrestler, like, he doesn't do, like, his sit-on-your-back thing because he doesn't have time because that segment right. takes more time than they had left in the show. But he does another stupid thing. I hate this move. He does, he like, he goes up to the top rope and he jumps off 
And I don't know what he's trying, like, he's trying to do, like, a punch, I guess, like, as he's falling, but the guy's lying on the mat, and it, it's so much effort for something that looks so terrible, and, yes. like, these are the things I think of when people are like, Rick Rude was a great wrestler, I'm like, well, he probably had a few fun matches, but have you watched, like, the million times that he had a bad match, so, I don't know. In a five-minute match, I think I hit the arrow, like, five or six times, that, <laughs> because that move, it makes no sense, like, it's insulting to me when you, like... When you take that long to get up a rope, you better be like thrown off the top rope because it's stupid. And then like every single move, you can't go and gyrate away from the wrestler after every single move that you do. Like <laughs> nobody is that they wouldn't be in the WWF if they were that poor of an opponent. Right. So like every time that happened, every time I saw him walk away from his opponent or do something that was just like so slow, I just hit that arrow and it was a five minute match and I probably hit it more times than there were minutes in the matchup. <laughs> I think this is just my opinion. Um, it's probably a little unfair, but I think Rick Rude um, fooled the generation by having uh, at least one good match with the Ultimate Warrior, which admittedly is very hard to do. And I think I will give him credit for doing that at some point. Although um, it looks to me more like it was something where <laughs> they planned out every moment of it in advance, uh, yeah. which is fine, but it just doesn't maybe say a lot for the people involved. Uh, but yeah, I mean... The few good matches of Rick Rude that you can point to probably are good, but man, to my opinion, it is not the norm. So I'm still pro Rick Rude as a character. I love his charisma. I think he has a good character, a good personality. His matches very often uh, are disappointing. So that is just my feeling. Yeah, and part of me also wonders the other side of that is how much of Rude and Warriors push is that better than the people that came before will be simply they got big muscles, but their body weight is cut even deeper than like the people that came before them. <laughs> but I don't know if I'd take, oh wow, this is a lot to say, but I don't know if I'd take either one of them over Hulk Hogan. You know, yeah. even in terms of like the, enjoying their matches, like oh, no. obviously no. I would take Hogan over Warrior, Rude, and maybe like kind of depends on some factors, but yeah, Hogan is like, Rick Rude is not, uh, at all, obviously, a better wrestler than Hulk Hogan. So, uh, I would take Hulk Hogan um, probably about uh, 99 times out of 100 to uh, the both of them. And, but it kind of like, and I could be completely wrong, that's all felt sense, but it seems like what makes them different or newer, like model, is that Hulk Hogan is like a strong 300 pounder, whereas Warriors is a ripped up guy. And then Rude, yeah, he's got a good gimmick, and I will never take that away from him. Like, he pops and but at the same time, you know, so it's so body related that, you know, I do wonder. We'll get to ninety, and maybe I'll, I'll end up saying, "My God, ninety was better than the '80s." But, you know, some of these guys, like when when your body is what part of what produces something, mm-hmm. and not your personality, not your understanding, not your this and that, like you might have three strengths, whereas someone else might have thirteen, and that ends up showing up later on. Yeah, yeah, I think that's we'll see. Fair. Yeah. Um, in favor of Rick Rude, I do like those uh, Paul Orndorff matches. We watched one of those, and that was very fun. I don't know if the credit really goes to Rude there, but uh, at least he's capable. We're yeah. also going to be getting into a feud that I really like, which is um, Rick Rude and Jake Roberts. And at some point, we're going to have to watch the instigating segment, which I think is an all-time great one. Um, so some something good will be coming out of that area eventually. I really like when Rude would accuse Steamboat, too, because, yeah, yeah. you know, Steamboat would be just a guy to 
you know, ruin his pushes because he wants to have his wife at ringside. And then, you know, dear God, so unfortunate. So Rude, <laughs> I think Rude's a good – Rude probably can be good in stories because yeah. it's so, he's so unappealing in a good way, in a heel way, like, you know, to be able to supposedly kind of, oh, he looks so good and yet he's so arrogant. Like, that's an easy recipe for creating a character. But at the same time, I'll, I'll be open-minded to see what Rude and Jake can do. Uh both of them, are, I think, are great storytellers. Yeah, and uh, I think both are better in a story. But, yeah, I'll be interested to revisit it because I remember liking it at the time. But uh, a new perspective always dawns. So. Yeah, I, I like Jake's stuff with Undertaker if it holds up to my childhood. Sure. So, there's a lot of good stuff to possibly come, but they definitely need stories. They don't need to just be five minutes at the end of the show dominating <laughs> Coco where It doesn't they, do it. They are not the type, for sure. Uh, all right, I think that wraps it up for this show. Anything else you want to talk about on this one? No, nah, we're in a new era, and Savage is off to a good start, and WWF is still thriving. Indeed. Uh, unless I am missing something, I think next time we will jump all the way to SummerSlam. So yeah. that's a big jump. Um, we're going to see, of course, that big main event, Andre and Ted DiBiase taking on the Mega Powers. Uh, we are going to see Jake Roberts versus Hercules. Coco mm. Beware versus the Big Boss Man. He's going to be on the scene. It's going to be some fun stuff in that. Uh, Demolition against another team that they are better than, the Heart Foundation. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, Ultimate Warrior, of course, is going to come out, and he's going to take that Intercontinental Championship, so Honky Tonk Man may well be behind us sooner rather than later. So the Heart uh, Foundation, are they baby faces now? I assume so, and yeah, I guess... Um, Ah, you know, I don't think we're going to see any of this Bret Hart, Bad News Brown feud. Because, yeah, I think they'll both be faces, and they're both just going to be back together already. So, that's kind of a shame. It is, but Bret Hart, you know, he's not ready. He's not ready for primetime singles. He's not. I just want to see more Bad News Brown, who is on the card, um, which is good stuff. So, yeah, there'll be some good stuff on this show. The very first SummerSlam, the Big Four, will be completed. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it should be good. Yeah, SummerSlam is a giant question mark for me. Eighty-eight. Like this is, I, I nothing comes to me from the past where I say, "Oh man, I really have an impression of the show." So this is almost, I think, a brand new experience for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, that is all we've got. Thank you very much for listening. Um, please do shout us out, bring comments. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Spectral Gent. I love the interaction. I find it uh, very positive, especially at this time. Also in the forums, if you're not there already, www.lpforums.com. Do type that www. You might get a, an error. Or you can navigate there through our main page of wrestlingheadlines.com. A lot of great written material there. And uh, also, please check out all the great programs on LOP Radio. We got a lot of great ones. So that is all we've got. We will be back with SummerSlam, the very first one. The Mega Powers meet the Mega Bucks. It's going to be very exciting. So thank you again for listening. Mystic, take us home. As always, until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes 
and white stripes and salty tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features keep telling myself nothing to fear it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that's scared it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that's scared